Hello, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to the show tonight. And we have a happy show for you guys tonight because things went well last night. Things went pretty close to as well as I think you can hope for, for a modern NFL game. And we got to talk about it. We got to break it all down. We got to figure out exactly how it happened, why it happened, how can we make it happen again? How can we get that F, uh, result over and over again this year? I think we'd all be pretty happy about that. Um, we're going to try to figure it all out tonight. I am here with Brandon of the Hawks Nest. How are you doing tonight? I'm always good. Better after a win, but uh, better after especially this kind of win like you talked about. That's got a, a lot of good to talk about with it and on top of, I think, encouraging signs for going forward. Not just in that you came away with the win or you scrounged it out or you, you know, tough through or it's a dirty win and we just kind of get the ball bounced right at the end. You know, you you won this in a way that I think is uh, a way that they can look at as kind of a model. Right. Right. I, I think that uh, if we could find a way to play that well every week, we'd be headed towards some big, bright things. But uh, yeah. so this game, just to quickly recap it from a um, from a distance. Because we don't really have any Seahawks news today. We haven't really heard anything concrete. We've heard the generic things like, oh, this guy got hurt, but he's going to be okay. We're going to have to see how it goes during the bye week. You know, the generic stuff that all coaches say for most injuries. So does seem like we got out of there with minimal damage, though. So I'm going to definitely call that good news. I'll take it. MetLife for how many men that, that – how many souls it's taken. <laughs> For what uh, for the little bit that we had to give to the the volcano gods of that stadium, I'm I'm perfectly happy with what we did walking out of it. That's right. So I think we can just jump right into the game here, basically. So I say let's do that. Um, let's do it. Twenty four to three. Uh, it was a blowout, relatively speaking. It was a pretty well dominated game by one side. And uh, if you were just to go over it broadly, how would you uh, how how would you uh, do that? One of the first games I think we've seen here in recent years that we can really firmly and <clears throat> there were some good defensive performances last year where you could maybe say this, but I, I think those were also ones where it was a little uh, yeah kind of this was one that was really driven by the defense to me from getting po putting points on the board like they did to the fourth down stops to you know bailing out an offense that needed bailing out this was a week where your offense was going to have its struggles and i think it was understandable every every team's going to reach its point where there's too many injuries on one side of the ball or the other and when you get to five of your offensive linemen out you might have been you might be reaching that place you might be entering into that zone and uh, i think we did what we could do what what meat was on the bone to, to eat and take a bite of from that offensive perspective in this game i think they did so with uh, an exception of some things we'll talk about with waldron's game plan but <clears throat> this meant the defense had to roll and with that necessity brendan not only did they just you know kind of barely hold through they dominated through you know they stamped it down and i think i saw that this was like with epa standards you know some of those advanced analytic range things where they determine game wins and how dominating an effort is from the defense with all of the stats distilled down they were i was reading that this was uh, right in equivalency with the 58 nothing the 50 burger that you threw on the cardinals in those back-to-back -back weeks against them in the buffalo bills back in 2012 and i would be pretty much uh, inclined to agree with that in my opinion you know you stop the run you didn't allow any real big plays you caused turnovers you, you set a franchise record or tied a franchise record with 11 sacks I, I think that this uh, kind of effort was special and the performance was very unique. 
And I don't think we're ever going to get back to quite this spot of it this year because that's this is it. You'd be insane to be pulling 10, 10 sacks a game. But there's a lot within it that I think is uh, stuff that we can tap back into. But the offense just had to kind of hang on. And the special teams did their part. But I feel like the offense really was starting to feel a little bit of that with that giant line that's got some legitimate bodies down on it. They were starting to feel a little bit of the, uh, you know, it's getting weak. The walls are getting weak, right? Little leaks are springing and you're seeing cracks running up the, the side. And you're going, uh-oh. <laughs> right. So let's start with the defense, I guess, because that's the fun part of this. That's yeah. the part that, I mean, I, I said it the other night. How far down do you have to go the down the list to find a player on defense who didn't play well last night? You got to go pretty far. Agreed. The, the effort was supreme and uniformed all the way through. It, it was um, awesome to watch where you just, it's not stars driving this performance. Everybody kind of came in and did, had their hand, had their part into it. That's how you get a dominant effort like this. So, you know, you're going to get a dominant effort to the Cleveland Browns to this level of a game. If you have a Miles Garrett just going out there and wrecking some tackle through the game, you got to have every guy on that defense, you know, pulling, doing their part to get there. Um. So to speak about things broadly, on defense, the Giants only really did two things throughout that whole game that worked in any manner at all. Uh, the first would be the Daniel Jones runs. He had a little bit of success using his legs. He uh, led his team in rushing by far. They were able to do a couple of nice things there, and he was able to get some things going with the little checkdowns and the quick passes out to receivers, which to me is just the kind of the scheme. Like the scheme is allowing him to have that, because we don't think he's going to be able to keep it up. He'll eventually make a mistake, and he he sure did. Yeah, I think it's also the certainly a little bit of the the coaching staff deciding to take a turn in this game too, Brendan, and their approach in attacking it because there there has been less of the off coverage, off coverage dropping to cover three specifically, which is to me the main thing that an, a quarterback like Jones is going to salivate over because he sees the off corners prior to the snap. And then he sees the corners bailing another three yards. And if he has an out route, a stop route, a comeback route, all of those are going to naturally win from a leverage standpoint against that coverage. Hawks have started to bring at least the corners up into more of a press look. So he can't read it. You can't read it as true and pure than when they're dropping into the bail because it's 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 absolutely it's, when they go to that bail technique, you can see what they're doing with them. I mean, it's literally flips the opposite way. Their hips would flip if they were running man coverage. So it's really, really easy to recognize when they're going into it. But I thought they kind of tightened some things down there, Brennan. I think that they, especially with bringing some of the blitzes like they did, they just didn't let him sit back there and have those routes kind of develop in there and, and essentially you know, let the quarterback have your defenders dropping to depth. Give them, give them time. Give them time. They'll just keep dropping to depth. That's how they're instructed. Oh, now now go underneath. Now hit the drag route. Now I'll hit the cross route. You, you didn't provide the amount of time for those routes to set up. And uh, I, I think that that's where I, I give a lot of credit this game, Brendan, back to not only the players, but the coaching staff, because I thought that they're I'd love to see your, hear your thoughts on this. But I, I, I felt like there was a tangible difference in their approach to how they executed this game plan versus other game plans this year. I mean, I like the blitzing. There was some really nice blitzing in this game and the blitzing worked. How many times did we get a free runner in? How many times did we completely blow up the play before it had any chance to go anywhere because of a blitz? I still feel like there were a few too many soft zones. You're playing the Giants. That's not a team that's really going to threaten you down the field. I would have liked to have seen us maybe uh, pressure them a little bit more at the line of scrimmage, challenge them on those short completions. But I think that the game plan, I, I can kind of understand it, right? Because Daniel Jones has shown he's not the kind of quarterback who's going to be able to 
just do that for 60 minutes and never make a mistake. He, he's going to make the mistake. And he did. He did. So I get it. But at the same time, I can kind of understand um, why I can kind of understand why we did it in this particular circumstance. Maybe a setup on him where you're setting him up in that. OK, this is the defense he thinks he's going to see today, get him comfortable with it. And then you you sort of flip it back the other way with it. Um, something like that. But you, however they arrived there, at least they did arrive there, Brennan, where it was not them just allowing him to sit back through through a game and be comfortable and be steady with that line where it's at. You know, you put them on the attack, and especially once they lost their center, I had some wonder about this, about who maybe called the – who's the line caller at that point? Daniel Jones doesn't strike me as the guy. I'm not trying to throw more shade at him. I know he's getting a lot already. <laughs> but he doesn't strike me as the line caller guy on an offensive line, really. Like, he's out there – able to see and read things really well and and make the calls out and all that. I reckon to guess that John Michael Schmitz was probably the guy they leaned on for that. He goes out of the game. Mm -hmm. Your left guard, Lemieux, slides over to the center position. Go on the attack. Challenge their protections. Can they handle picking everything up here? Are they going to make all the right calls at that point, especially if you're exotic in your blitzes? And that's where they, they had some blood in the water. And rather than just kind of letting them get off the hook, slide off the hook with it, they pulled that hook on the on the on the line, and and that's the big part with three on this defensive performance coming out of it is yeah, some guys stepped up, that's for sure, and the players got to make this work. But it's the coaching staff having the balls, Brendan, that they sometimes don't always have had the guts to do, and and dialing those up like they do. All right, so let's just go through. I'm I'm just going to name some players on this defense to talk about who I think really stood out in a positive way yesterday because we could sit here for about three hours just talking about the guys on defense because again pretty much everybody showed up maybe daryl taylor was the one guy who left us a little bit wanting right maybe he was the one guy who didn't get in on the party yeah that's probably about accurate i think he's getting some of his snaps obviously he's a lot of his snaps taken out that boy has ascended fully and i think that the, the club likes Derek hall quite a bit i think some of that's come down to his cost of things but he's not when he's out there necessarily showing you a lot either yeah, exactly. So let's start with uh let's start with Bobby Wagner here because he kind of got lost, I feel, in all the stuff that happened last night with the sacks and the turnovers. But um 17 tackles, and usually when he has 17 tackles in a game, I'm not really happy about it because it means our defense was on the field for 58 minutes mm -hmm. and he just had to get tackles because the other team always had the ball. That wasn't really the case last night. His tackles were productive. He had two sacks as well. Um, his average depth of tackle this year is really good. It's like 2.2 yards down the field against the run. Uh, he got beat in coverage maybe twice in this game, but it wasn't anything that was that big of a deal. Brita got him once, and I think a receiver got him once. That's about it. Like, um, is, um, is he on pace to have maybe like the best year of his career? Are, are we in that area yet? Hmm. Ah, uh, that's actually a really interesting question and one I haven't really spent, to be honest with you, um, you know, a ton of time considering with that. Um, 91 grades by PFF coming out of this. He's going to be one of the highest rated linebackers by PFF, no doubt, after this week, I'm sure. Um, you know, very much maybe. You look at where that run game was last year, Brendan, and where it's gone to this year. This isn't a run game that's just merely going from 30 to 15. So run game defense that's going from that that 28 to 30, wherever the hell it was at the end, at the back end of things, to the front end of things. And you look at this roster defensively, and not a lot has changed 
on this team. Yeah, Jaron Reed. Yeah, Mario Edwards Jr. helped. I'm not going to say this is all on Bobby's back and he's just pulling the whole load here, but it's been him, him to me, in my opinion, Brendan, standing out here at the forefront as the reason why this, this run defense has improved. First, before we get to anything he does as a pass rusher and whatever he does as a leader and whatever he's doing right now in coverage. Um, still comes out of this game with a 72 coverage. It was a thing that draw, drove me a little bit kind of batty this offseason when people talked about how bad he was in coverage is like okay you can sign me up to that but build your case you can't just blanket say well a guy's bad in coverage because i see his feet are slow pff coverage scores are still solid down the line i think he was 75 last year if he's a 72 pff grade this year or somewhere around that which is where he's probably gonna be about when he settles in that's leap years ahead of jordan brooks and cody barton so giving us good there and then you get the leadership and then you get maybe one of the best blitzing middle linebackers in the sport on top of all of that in addition to it and all for the bargain base value of a one-year seven million dollar deal bobby has been absolutely a godsend to this defense i give him a huge amount of credit for that run run stopping defense he's probably doing a lot of calling out and recognizing plays before it happens you can see the instincts in the run game you know where it mitigates the lost steps brendan it really does I've watched so many snaps of where you can see him taking two and three steps there where a Cody Barton would have stayed flat-footed on that play, probably would have backed up a step post-snap, and it's really a cumulative four-step, five-step difference between those guys on where they just start the play out because of their instincts and ability to read the play. Bobby's been fantastic, man, and uh, yeah, he may be on on pace to you know heading to that spot, especially if he ends up at like eight or nine sacks or something like that. I mean, that's he'll start making a real strong case for that being the way this will play out. Yeah, he's on pace for about 212 tackles, which would destroy his former career high, and I think also be an NFL record. Now, it's a 17-game season now. That doesn't mean as much as it would, but it's still pretty crazy. And usually, you know, you know, I'm not a big tackle guy, but if you're getting productive tackles, then it's fine, and he is. He mm-hmm. has one of the best average depth of tackles in the league. Yeah. I think I agree with you on the same thing. And the bottom line that you are stopping the run in addition to that and all four games that you haven't had any game where you've let this slip Um, this game, even like the only way they got the yards was because Daniel Jones can't sit in the pocket for more than a half seconds before he freaks the hell out. And so, you know, he's, he's run city that beefed up their numbers a little bit, but you're, you're, you're being absolutely fantastic on that area of stopping the run. And I just feel like, yeah, he's, he's right there at the forefront. He's getting help. But man, he has been just what the doctor ordered because that position was so lost last year. Seems like the only thing is we can't run cover one with Bobby. Like that kind of hangs him out to dry in coverage, I feel like. That was one thing that was getting called out a little bit in yesterday's game. That was uh, the 22 uh, yard catch that Brita had. He mm. beat Bobby and we were in cover one. And it, it, it just, he, he can't keep up with those guys anymore. That's the one thing that I think we need to pull back a little bit. But other than that, um, well, that's coverage the, really has not been a big problem this so far this year. I don't think they'll probably ever do it, but that is the opening to me where you could eventually bring out a Jamal. And I mean, it'd be probably a tough to do, especially with him having the year he is in Bobby. But, you know, the coaching staff was seeing that kind of stuff where teams were able to really attack it, that you could flip, you know, Bob, yeah, you could flip Jamal down there occasionally and Bobby off the field. Like if you're in a dime package, Jamal would become your dime linebacker, the only linebacker on the field. But I don't know if they'd be willing to do that. I don't know if they Bobby be willing to be talked off the field with it. But I think that that's just going to be the the part of his game that does exist that is the the troublesome part. I don't think though that it it certainly doesn't you know take take anywhere near even even make a dent into the value he's bringing on the other side of it in a variety of ways. 
Okay, next up, uh, how about Jordan Brooks? Because we just kind of mentioned him a little bit in tandem with Wagner. Uh, you get the green dot off his helmet, and it seems like he's just more liberated to go play the way that he needs to play. Just He doesn't have to think as much. He doesn't have to worry about where everyone else is. He just worries about where he is. And again, I've said this after almost every game this year. I feel like he's playing the best football of his life. I, I don't remember ever watching Jordan Brooks in a previous year thinking – wow, I'm, I'm actually thinking this guy's one of the better linebackers in the league. I always thought maybe there was a point where he was a little above average, but I never thought he was really good until this year. So far, he it just seems like he's all over the place. And I don't know how where it's come from, but I think it's the case. I think it's there. Uh, yeah, we can absolutely, to your point on that point to the, the first, moving him out of the middle linebacker spot, taking the green dot off his helmet, taking that load off of his shoulders has certainly released him. And that's, I think, right there at the, the forefront. The kid's developing. Young kids are going to develop. That's got to be a big part of it, too. But to happen after his ACL is the, the the strange and wondrous part of this because he shouldn't be, you know, at looking still closely like what he looked like athletically prior to the injury uh, this close this fast after is like now what seven and a half months ago or something um but he has been great i don't know brennan do you, uh, he hasn't posted a 70 coverage grade in his entire career in a game i don't believe i don't remember I, ever seeing that i mean if he did it was probably in a game where he got targeted like once right yeah i mean that's that's literally a 70 grade is like double the grades he was getting in coverage last year on a consistent basis he was posting 35 and 40 grades in coverage this game he posts a 70 grade you're right that part of his game as much as anything has taken big steps forward and has been really impressive and then we've gotten to see now with the hawks embracing this blitz thing you know i've talked about all these players that fit into the alignment of being blitz blitz favorable you know, mm -hmm. be it your man cover corners on the outside or getting Julian Love in the slot manned up um, and then having blitzers like Jamal and Bobby. And now we got another one and another one like, you know, and another one and <laughs> another one. We're adding it. We got another guy that looks like he excels in, in maybe a, a kind of an attacking more mold. Because I'll tell you this, Brendan, when you got Bobby Wagner going on a blitz and when you got Jordan Brooks going on the blitz, you know what they're not doing? covering in space yeah covering they're not covering exactly that's why I've, I've been advocating for it and hopefully you know last night was like the uh the time when the rat accidentally pushes the button that releases the cheese block and then that's they're right. like oh i gotta keep pushing this button i gotta keep pushing this button man i, I can keep getting that cheese endless cheese blocks man yeah so yeah i'm very impressed with brooks so far i'm not necessarily advocating for us to give him a monster extension at the end of the year because we don't really have that much money to go around anyway. We were, we're already pretty close to tapped out with the money we've given out. But for the first time, I'm looking at Jordan Brooks and saying, this is a good player. This is a plus player through four games. Yeah, I agree with you on that. The, and then let's remember with the middle linebacker price on deals like Tremaine Edmonds and Roquan Smith last year, you know, the market value on a guy like Jordan Brooks that you might think it's at a spot where you're going to get him here. And it's like, no, it's going to cost you up about here. And that's where, you know, teams are, you know, it's going to get too rich, like you say, right? I think the Hawks blood. But this is what we want him to do is excel this year and help this defense out. And, and right now he's been a really good addition to this defense. Him and Bobby working great in tandem. They've been together. That's a part of this too. These guys have been together for a couple of years. Um, and they seem to be very synced up together in how they operate with each other and, and communication and both being on each other's, you know, P's and Q's a little bit. You got to work like that, kind of like on, like you got a line driven, drawing between you a little bit as linebackers like that. Um, and they're doing that together both. So uh, he is, he's been great. And the cover stuff's wild to see him take the steps forward, but it's awesome to see.
By the way, just to uh, put a bow on it, Bobby Wagner's average depth of tackle so far this year, 1.9 yards down the field. And Jordan Brooks is three flat. So the fact that our top two run tacklers are doing that well tells you most of the story as to why the defense is playing so well so far this year. Yeah, as opposed to having like two safeties that are leading your team in tackles like we've had at times in the past. Right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the Snail, thank you for the $2. Is the Bengals line significantly better? I think every line is significantly better than the Giants line last night. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, where that line state is and missing their star power like the Giants were. I, I don't know if we're going to face this year maybe the maybe the Cardinals game, I guess, potentially um, a line that's in tougher tougher shape. They've got a couple book in tackles with Orlando Brown, who's a Kansas City Chiefs left tackle that they signed for a gazillion dollars to bring him over there. Jonah Williams, a former first-round pick who's been okay. And then the interior of their line's just all right. Cordell Volson, Ted Karras, and Alex Kappa. Ted Karras, son of uh, Alex Karras, of course, former. Uh, yeah. Gi- Giants would kill for all right right now. The uh, Giants would love this line. This this line would make <laughs> them feel like they were had all pros across the board. But it's really with the Bengals beyond the offensive line when it comes to Burrow, and this is even really to me this way when it when it's him healthy. And that is, and we'll certainly me and Brennan be diving into this when we do the when the pregame show and whatnot. But it's it's really about he's wanting to get the ball out of his hands and lean into his reads and his anticipatory throws. And it's how you can take that away from him and make the game harder, make him have to hold the ball longer so that your pass rush has the time to get there as much as the Bengals are just so great at blocking. Because Burrow's such a very decisive decision maker back there, and he tends to be right when in what he chooses to do post snap. But, uh, yeah, I don't think you're playing a line as bad as the Giants one that we dealt with last night, remember? I mean, Evan Neal looks like he's not even trying on some snaps, even that guy. Like, you say he's a giant starter, but that doesn't actually mean anything right now. He looked lost, man. Um, He looked lost, and he blew that one protection assignment that everybody's, you know, railing on him on, and it's rightfully so. I mean, it looks pretty obvious when you have a free rusher on the inside that, you know, and Waller's blocking the guy up, and he's treating like Waller's out there trying to chip the guy. Waller's heads up on the guy blocking him, and he just sort of rolls over Waller to try to retake over the block. And meanwhile, the inside, our inside guy comes free. Bad luck by Neil there. I mean, just complete brain fart mode in that moment. Um, but yeah, they, they they didn't have anything. I don't think of any real great use in that game last night. That mm-hmm. was all across the board. I think pretty bad for them. Yeah, Joshua Carlisle. Thank you for the nine ninety nine. Glad to throw some cash your way after enjoying the content almost daily for some time. Eager to hear your guys' thoughts on the tackle on Gino. Also, Brendan, ever heard of artificial silence? Well, I've never heard of artificial silence. Not sure what that is. But uh, let the, the Gino tackle, let's just uh, jump on over the, the, to that since uh, I know we're talking about the defense first, but let's spend a what, what did you What do you make of it? Um... Gino's got to knock the ball down. I don't. The quarterbacks do this every time this ball gets knocked up in the air. Is the these these guys have this the the competitive heart? Brendan is is beating with such pride in those moments, and the ball's up in the air and it's floating, and they're like, "I'm gonna get this and house it. Watch yeah. me go." And and then it's just like, and there's a defender right on top of him, and it's a negative one yard gain, and they look really dodgy doing it. Just 
Brady always understood this. You never saw Brady trying to catch it when the ball got knocked back. He just ball be knocked back and he'd go like this. Or, or Peyton would do that too. And uh, really where we get to the start of that play, why that play happens, is Geno not making a smart choice on a ball that's knocked down and just lived to play another day. That's how you play that. Uh, instead, he tries to run it. Now, he's a runner. He's not a quarterback at that point. He's not a passer looking down the field to throw the ball. There's not the protections in place for him like you might have the protection in place for a quarterback. This this new tackle problem that offensive players are having with defensive players with this guys get drugged down and the defender ends up on the back of their legs and offensive players hate it and they're like, this is dirty. You guys can't do that. I do really end up sympathizing more with the defenders in this situation in saying, what do we want these defenders to do? They can't go high. And then when they go low, you get the offensive players bitching and moaning about my knee, my knee, you got to do my knee. And then when they go, you know, and try to pull you down just to pull you down. And it's like, well, don't get on my back and my ankles, right? You know, fall yourself to the side as you're pulling me down. It's like, you're trying to take a man to the ground. Doesn't want to be tackled here. Like, you know, it's, it ain't like, it's just the guy's like, okay, gently lay me down. Let's go. Just put me down the pillow whenever you're ready. And I think offensive players sometimes get, get a little bit of that feeling in their head. Like, you know, that's that that's the way that this plays out. It's a I, it's a tough tackle, but it's been one that's been in football for many, many, many years. And it is one that can cause injury at times, but the sport is violent. Injuries can happen. I have a hard time going and looking at defenders telling them we need to add another rule to make tackling even harder on you. As it is the sport right now, we're having a tackling problem throughout the whole sport as it is. And we're going to make it tougher on these guys. Haven't we made it already easy enough on offenses as it stands? Yeah, I guess I guess the controversy is that it's kind of the same thing as a horse collar in the terms of the action that happens. So they're like, okay, if you got rid of the horse collar, this is basically a horse collar, just the hands in a slightly different place. But I don't know what you do. In that circumstance, I, I, at, at a certain point, I don't know what the defender's supposed to do. And I understand it when they're protecting a quarterback, because I think the NFL's admitted, look, it's not fair. We're going to protect quarterbacks. I know that there's nothing a defender can do sometimes, but too bad. Deal with it. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about a guy who's become a runner, like Gino was on that play, I, I, I don't really know what you can do. And as I understand it, it does look like horse collar, but it is the horse collars to the back of the jersey, as I understand it. It's not to the side of the jersey that the penalty gets called on. I've never seen it called to the side. And this is where we get to that. You've got a defender approaching an offensive player, and if we're trying to put a rule in there where he can't get his hands up around there, it's like, this is where I'm going to get to this place. Like You've got this like six-inch strike point. You can grab a guy and take him to the ground, Ev, or otherwise it's going to be a penalty. And it's like your hands are are – you're, you're trying desperately to find something you can grab. It's very likely the first thing you're going to grab is going to be some whole spot you got in there to grip. And if it's on the side and the rules say that it's only the back that's the horse collar, they're, they're playing within the, to me, the scope of the rules. And if, if we got to change the rules to do that, I guess they'll change it if it eventually comes too much of a problem. But I just feel like it's, it's not that big of an issue. And frankly, it's, we got to stop making every rule change in the sport to the benefit of the offense, because we'll eventually get to a place where it's just impossible to play defense. Yeah. I, I, uh, I agree with that. Like, that's why I did not like it when they did the Des Bryant rule. I was like, it's already too easy to catch the ball as it is. Yeah. Like why, why are we making this even easier? But, uh, yeah, the first thing you said about Gino batting the ball down, absolutely true. Um, some of you guys might remember the uh, Clowney game, the Jadavion Clowney game in San Fran or Santa Clara. 
Uh, Jermaine Effetti did that, right? He picked up a fumble and turned around like he's going to take it 90 yards to the house. Yeah. And he doesn't. He fumbles immediately because he's never held a football in his life before, probably. <laughs> Same thing. Oh, it is. Well, and I, I have a feeling, guys, that the sport moves so fast. That ball is in the air. You're probably peripheral seeing this huge open wide lane like below your eyes, you know, on the eye line as the ball's up here. And you're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, and your whole head's doing this imagination where I'm going to do it. I'm going to do my Barry Sanders. I'm going to shake this guy. I'm going to do a spin move after that. And then it just all suddenly just everything gets really fast, really quick at that point. Let's see here. David Pugh. Thank you for the 499 Swiss army spoon. Yeah. I'm bringing this up again. S a S we had a, we had last night on the stream, Brennan, uh, a good number of, uh, of nickname potentials. Most of them set around the spoon. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, here's the current list. We've got uh, spoon man. Big Spoon, Swiss Army Spoon, Monsoon Spoon, Legion of Spoon, Dirty Devon, Harpoon Spoon, Wither Boom, Devastator, The Hitman, Spoonami, Wizard Spoon, Bone Shiver Spoon, and Spoonifer, like as in Punisher, but Spoon Spoonisher. I don't know. None of those are speaking to me off the off the rip. I got to be honest. Yeah, none of them. Those are are Cambodian beef sticks. You know, strong. I'll say that. Yeah. Um. Maybe he doesn't need a. Maybe maybe it just can be spoon. It's you know the nicknames. You'll know it when it when the right one lands. You know it. You know. What I mean, that's everything too. But I I don't know. Spoon's been used too much. We got to find something else more than that. That's too. That's too late. It's like going with the J Rod, like A Rod, but now we got J Rod. It's like, come on, guys. We can we can get more creative than this. We can find something. It's something like Shaq here. went through all those nicknames, but the best one was always Shaq. That's true. That's yeah. true. It was. It was. I maybe Spoon. Certainly, Spoon's going to be something that follows him, you know, often. But it would be cool if we could come up with something. Maybe a little bit of uh, the the tag team tandem with him and Mullen. Now set to go. Michael Santalonza, thank you for the $10. Great show tonight, guys. They were playing three safeties at the beginning of the game. If Adams doesn't go out, would Spoon have seen any snaps at Nickelback and produced such a memorable night and future at this position? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, probably so, Before the game... Carroll was asked about nickel corner and he said it's going to be a combination of Adams, Jarek Reed, Devin Bush of all people actually. And I think he had Witherspoon's name in there as well. Yeah, I would I would think what they would have done ideally is have Spoon stay on the outside. That if we want to get to kind of the, the brass tacks on this one. The reason being is that Michael Jackson hasn't played particularly well on the outside. He kind of had a couple moments in the Carolina game where he started as the game went on a little bit better, but I don't know that they have a lot of trust in him. I think that they had a lot more trust in moving Julian Love down the slot, Jamal down the slot at times, Julian Love is strong safety. That I think that was the idea coming in. But then once you you lose Adams and now Love's got to play strong safety 24-7, now you got to kick Witherspoon inside because you don't have another slot corner to call upon at that point who i mean devin bush is not somebody you're going to run out there for a large part of the snaps even if you had a plan to use him limited uh in a limited fashion so i it makes sense that they did what they did would he have had the day that he did i mean probably not because you're not going to blitz your outside corner at the frequency that you're going to blitz your slot 
This is also, I think you got to see a real example as to why we were talking about this offseason, those folks that so very much bristled at the thought process of Witherspoon being moved into the slot. What a waste of him. What a absolute misuse. It's a mischaracteristic of justice. You know, it's like, no, it's not. It's actually, it could be a, the most useful way to use him and put him in a place to be most productive. And uh, certainly he was this last week. Doesn't mean that that's his long-term. I think long-term, Brendan, this really does settle out to where you get him on the outside. I think Jillian Love will actually be better from his strong safety more down the slot. Jamal could be peppered in there as well. I think that you can still find him very useful on that outside, especially when we understand this is being done with the thought process of he starts locking down one side, one starts locking down another side, and now everything gets condensed into the inside. And, and that's where those kind of work together in the in the grand scheme, in my opinion. Right. And last night, I think, should teach us a little bit. The goal is just to get as much talent as you can out there at all times. Don't worry that much right. about, oh, this guy's here, this guy's there. No, Witherspoon played every snap last night. Who cares where it was? He was on the field 75 times. Mm -hmm. That's all that matters. Best 11 guys, right? Just like basketball. Get our best five out there. Let's not worry about what's the position, though. Who's our power forward? Who's the strong? Who's the small? Who's our shooting guard? Let's get our best five guys out on the, on the, on the field. And let's let it roll. And and they they did operate, like you say, in that manner last night in their approach. Um, while it's on screen here, let's uh, briefly talk about Jamal Adams, I guess, because obviously that was uh that was a gut punch, by the way. This defense endured really well. Like that could have mm. taken the wind out of their sails. It did not at all. So good for them. But uh sounds like he'll be ready for the Cincinnati game. So I guess we get to do this all over again in a couple weeks, right? Yeah, you feel for the guy. I, I mean, it's it's hard because I know fans are really there's certain some fans out there that are kind of their wits end with it in the amount that's happened. I, I still, I, I understand it might seem like well you're just holding out hope on something that's not going to happen, but the stuff has been so random. I, I was trying to make a joke that I feel like maybe he slept with a voodoo priest just in his time down there at LSU or something, and 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 jilted her heart. <laughs> so now, she's killed a chicken and he just can't stop being injured. Uh, I don't know, man, but he's. It's a different injury from the others. Yeah. I'm you. I think you would offer the same thing in watching as much football as you've watched as well. We've seen that kind of play happen probably hundreds of times where a guy goes low. It's a be it a safety going on a bigger guy, be it a running back or, or a quarterback. That guy's bigger. I got to go low. They go low. They're a little inaccurate with where their, their position is or the quarterback or ball carrier changes their legs last second. And just it's a weird timing thing where the, the that that hard part of your knee goes right up beside the soft part of your head there the worst part to get those concussions and he got it right down right down on the button and it sucks man but it's it's not it, that's not an indicative thing of him being injury prone that's just the thing of any player on this team have that same collision with that same hit bobby wagner same hit upside his head probably have that same kind of reaction happen right and at the end of the day as i've been trying to tell people for the last couple of uh, months here Jamal Adams is not going anywhere. He's here for the rest of this year, and he's probably here for the rest of next year. So we may as well try to figure out ways we can make this work and think about how this is going to operate because that first drive, Adams was looking pretty dang good. He was he got a couple tackles. He got the pressure on Daniel Jones on the blitz. He was uh, doing his thing out there, and then, of course, it had to go like that, which is unfortunate, but... Uh, I, uh, I don't see how, as a Seahawks fan, you aren't thinking about, okay, 
a couple weeks from now, we're going to have Witherspoon on one side, Woolen on the other side. We're going to have Julian Love down in the slot. We're going to have Jamal Adams in the box. We're going to have Quandre Diggs handling stuff deep. This is going to be really exciting. Like, what's wrong with that? Like you say, he flashed in that little bit of time he was out there on the field, as opposed to seeing him out there on the field dragging his leg along, looking lost, looking like his spirit was not in it anymore. And that's we got the opposite of that from Jamal, even in the small a small part. And this guy is still a very talented safety in this league. And does he hold up the injuries or not? We shall see. But there shouldn't be a – some of the people like to paint that argument where they get mad about the injury part with him. And so then they all started going, well, then it's Blitz Boy and it's he doesn't cover and he can't cover. And they start to better suit their argument. Like, let's not get it twisted on those two. Is the injury criticisms fair? Sure. Is this guy a hell of a football player than when he's on the field? Is he going to help this defense when he's on the football field versus not being on there? Are we better with him? As we get back to that concept we just talked about, about the best 11 players on the field, yeah, you are with him on the field. And the Hawks are going to find a role for him. And if he can stay healthy, he's going to have some impact out there and help this team out. Absolutely. Uh, Y2K, thank you for the $2. More weekly Jake Bobo blocking highlights, please. <laughs> were there any from this game i didn't notice any on the initial watch he uh i think on the kenneth walker run the big one at the end where they broke the uh, back the, the broke the broke the back run uh i think he was right there in the center coming down on that one right at the center of the action on it okay. um i gotta watch gotta check him out myself but um, i'm sure we've got more than a few cut-ups i can find throughout this year i can put together y2k of him out there putting in some work with some of the grades that he's got you don't get those kind of grades from pff as a run blocker as a receiver unless you're really sticking your your nose in there and trying to do something absolutely uh casra salari thank you for the 4.99 everyone's saying we only got sacks because of the giants o-line but the cowboys could only get seven and we got 11 the pass rush is improving it's annoyed the hell out of me coming out of this game how about you brendan I mean, I understand that what happened last night is an indictment on the Giants as well. Don't get me wrong, but it, it was still an incredible game. Like, in many ways, history was made last night by the Seahawks defense. So this is not the first time in 50 years that a team has played against a team with a bad offense. It's not like this. It's it's not like the Giants never play football. They come out of hibernation once every 10 years to play a game. No, they're playing 17 games this year. And I'd be surprised if any other team they played this year has 11 sacks on them, no matter who they put out on the offensive line. Agreed. Um, I think I, I would not, like you say, try to dress it up like we just completely won those matchups and it wasn't that they were bad or in, in a bad state. But this overstating of it, that that's the only reason why we had the success, which has been painted, especially by Giants fans after the game, is uh, uh, inaccuracy. I think, too, the Cowboys had what, or the 49ers had what, three? I want to say in that game that they played at them in San Francisco, I believe they only managed three sacks on their end of it, you know, so it, it doesn't quite add up when they're dealing with very much the same that they got to face. We got to face. So why didn't it go as bad, you know, for them, especially because we're playing in their house. It wasn't like they're in Seattle having this happen to them. Yeah. We're in MetLife when this is going down. And so I, I think that this was really, um, more, even if we're going, there's a little bit that I'd give to them being bad line, bad Daniel Jones performance, more to me that the, the defensive line taking it to them in this game because of the fact that not only did you have guys winning, Brendan, but you had the coaching staff dialing up the blitzes to make it happen. And without both of those two things, you don't get to, to 11 sacks. And none of that has anything to do with to me necessarily on those two parts, uh, just the how bad the Giants offensive line is. Uh, it's 
It's twice. This is the twice this has happened in 50 plus years as an Oregon franchise. You know, you face, I'm sure you faced offensive lines along the way that were in that kind of state that were beat up in that way. Yeah. And I, I mean, Daniel Jones did not play well last night, but you got to say he did a pretty good job evading the sack on some of those plays. So yeah. it could have very easily been worse. <laughs> if we were playing uh, Andy Dalton, a guy who doesn't quite have that wiggle to his waggle. It might have been 15. Mm -hmm. I <laughs> so. agreed. Yeah, no, that was well said, man. I mean, it was, you had one where Mafe had him dead to rights. Draymond Joan had, had him dead to rights. The Jamal Adams one where he had him right in his hands. It was like he was slicked up like a, a greased pig at times, uh, you know, Daniel Jones. And I think that this is why when we talk about our, we're going to talk about the offense, I know soon, but this is when we talk about the offense and haven't given them room on this. It's very hard to play the position when your offensive line is under that kind of duress. It's it's hard to be functional and do anything at that point because it's just too many backups across the board that you have in. And there does reach that kind of that line where you go from, well, we can kind of hold things together to everything just sort of spills on the floor. And, and the more of those injuries kind of start to mount. Right. Narc Diaries, thank you for the dollar ninety-nine. K9 block was sweet. Bradford signed for fans after. Oh, that's Ooh. cool. Very nice. The Seahawks fans certainly made their way down to the uh, front rows after that game was over. I did notice that. Yeah, they they were taking notice that we were in the stadium. They're like, it's. It, I I saw Witherspoon. It's like, oh, we they traveled. They're out here in New York. I mean, wow, you guys are across the country. You're out here. It's like, yeah, we travel. That's that's how we roll, you know. And I know that there's having watched the um, Super Bowl in New York. There are a lot of Seahawks fans who happen to reside out there for whatever reason. Um, and so it is kind of interesting. And how about Bradford coming in again, filling in, not getting an easy draw with Lawrence and Williams down there as he's having to battle it out down there. I thought, again, he just showed some more of that real feisty spirit down in there. And especially on that little canine run, um, which maybe what she's talking about there with the Bradford part down on the goal line, Brendan, where that's the one where Leonard Williams got pissed off. And that was really a frustration point from my perspective with Williams. He got, he got mad because he just got his butt whipped on that rep. And he didn't like it. And so, and and Bradford will will block to the whistle. He'll do that. That's part of why I love him and and do believe he's gonna have a nice bright future for us on this line. But just another snap where he's taking on a big strong man, you know, a former first round pick, just like he did last week, and handling business up there. When you want to run the ball, you can go right behind Bradford's side. Uh something to really build on there with him into the mm -hmm. future. Yeah, this game it was really just the penalties. He had a couple penalties, but I, I think he's holding his own in there. He's doing well. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just considering where we saw his tape at <laughs> coming in this year, uh, he's taken some some huge steps forward. And I saw you dropped a video on Dickerson this year about you know the job he's doing today, or I believe it was today. Right. Um, and uh, certainly Bradford's one of those points of here's another one here too you want to we got we got a lot of guys we can point to that are dick evidence of dickerson doing a fantastic work bradford's one of those guys yeah we are not going to be able to keep that guy after this year no <laughs> it's it's gonna be tough it's gonna be tough we're getting the pipeline going again though canales who by the way seems to be doing pretty well over in tampa mm -hmm. uh and then it's gonna we got waldron we got dickerson we're getting the pipeline going it's it's okay it's going to be like the Niners with their defensive coordinators, just for the offense. Just as long as Brendan, we don't call Tom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I'm. I. Uh, I hope we move past that. I think that's uh, pretty clearly something we've uh, learned from. Please God. <laughs> Love you, Tom, but please God. <laughs> 
Uh, Revac, thank you for the $5. My friend accidentally bought us tickets sitting in the home section. I've never gotten chirped at so much until the third quarter when they all left. <laughs> How about New York beating the traffic, man? Can't blame them. It was a it was a brutal game to watch, and you're you have got your your, your red faced coach out there going ape nuts over his uh, quarterback, and the quarterback with he's got the the, the stupidest looking face. Does Daniel Jones? My goodness, some of the shots with him. I I don't know what's going on, but he's got those just that Duke education. I do just just fake the face, you know. Like if you got a face like that, just hold that sucker down because it's just it's a meme waiting to happen. Um, yeah. But yeah, that'll happen. I I remember I once thought I was going to go and do uh, down in the San Diego Chargers game on the road back in the day, and uh, got in there and I was like, yeah, Chargers don't care. Do they even are? Do they even really care? You know? And yeah, they care. <laughs> All game long, you're hearing about it on every positive play. Uh, so, you know, I love that. That's the spirit of going in, uh, enemy, any enemy lands, you know? Yeah. I mean, there have been a lot of fights in NFL stadiums this year though, like, like physical fights. Uh, it seems like it's up. I, I don't know if it's just because they get filmed more because everyone has phones now or if it's happening more, but I'm noticing it more. It does feel like it's, it's getting an uptick. That's for sure. It does feel like it's, it's going through and you know, you do get fans that will be willing to go in there and they think it's game on and they'll say some, some cold blooded stuff to somebody that they don't know is a stranger. And it's like some people, you gotta be careful about what you say to them. Cause you can set it off. It's that mess around, F around and find out, you know? Right. Uh, let's see here. Kevin Lonis. Thank you for the $5. MetLife might be a house of horrors, but we are still undefeated. Go Hawks, and then he also had uh, this undefeated at MetLife. So I think he just wanted to specify that. Let's go. So Kevin. I think those two go together. But yeah, it's working out pretty good for us right now. I think we're seven and zero since the opening of the stadium. Now I uh, think so. it's six and zero. Six and zero. Six and zero. Seven and zero. I thought I six and zero coming in right. the game. That's what I thought it was. But uh, all being, we were really good in there. We performed really well in there, and uh, it's it's been a it's been a good stadium to us, indeed. So, and hey, even the injury thing with the House of Horrors that you referenced, Kevin, it wasn't even you know we, we had uh, Jaron goes down, I think, with the thing with that looks okay on the shin, and then you have uh, another little thing over there. Damian Lewis twists his ankle, but nothing. It doesn't look like that was you know Achilles popping or ACLs yeah. blowing. The only one I'm worried about is Phil Haynes because he reaggravated the calf. Mm. And sometimes when it gets reaggravated, it comes back a lot worse, like with uh, Mike Morris, a good example. Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely a worrisome one, especially because two weeks isn't going to get that back to right. He's probably going to need the four to six at least on that one. So, Yeah, yeah and um, you know, we saw with Abe Lucas too. He had the knee injury, was supposedly fine for week one, reaggravates the knee, and boom, he's out a month. Mm -hmm. it's where it can go it is the way they can go i think that they i think they try to see if they can skim through it and then when it just becomes obvious they can't there's like okay we'll, we'll pull the ir switch but luckily bradford playing like he is i know that does thin us out but at least yeah you you can hold the line if it has yeah to i'm a i'm a fan of what haynes has done so far this year but i mean he's always been pretty delicate so i think we know we can't depend on him going forward really agreed and we can right now with the schedule setting up like it is, you can accommodate him that time because you probably would best like him back in there for the Niners, Eagles, Cowboys, Ravens games. You know, if you can get him in there, that'd be where you'd like to in the schedule, I think, to be at your strongest there on the line. 
Seahawks OG, thank you for the 499. Fun night, guys. Living the dream this week. Seahawks D forced three turnovers. Giants O got three points. New unit name, Death Star D. <laughs> the Death Star D. I like it, man. That fits. We'll add it to the list. We'll add it to the list, brother. Thank you, Seahawks OG. Yeah, thank you. It 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 was a uh, very un, it was a very it was the kind of game you don't see in the modern NFL very much. They don't let them let that happen very often. No, they didn't. It did feel like the officials were trying to keep it from happening in the uh, first half, but uh, a little bit, you, a little bit, you know, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not making okay. any blames, but it's a little dodgy there. <laughs> At first half was a little, little touching. Yeah, I think most people here are going to agree with you. I wouldn't worry too much about saying that. I think most of them are going to side with you. <laughs> Give me a free break. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, more guys on defense. Derek Hall. PFF gave him five pressures, including, I think, two or three QB hits. So he was all over the quarterback. He created that second interception by hitting Jones as the ball got there. Kind of a breakout game for him. Definitely the best game he's played so far. And, you know, Daryl Taylor, he's coming for your snaps. I, I hope you know what's going on there because he's coming for him. Yeah, you're not – it's not growing anytime soon. The team loves what they get from Hall. That's just by – you can see by the snap counts and how often he's being used right now that, that they feel that way. Because you know right now the, the, we're damn skippy on this. They want to, you know, all things being equal, try to at the very least feature Taylor a little bit more if only to create – a, a trade asset for somebody maybe out there, but they, they like Hall. They like what he's running out there doing. The three things I've said, he goes at you with her early on from Auburn was the long arm bull rush, the two arm bull rush, which he can employ. And then he can employ also, of course, that, that quickness inside laterally, especially when he's stunting. And what did he do on that Quandre Diggs pick, Brendan? It was skill number three that he utilized on that, that stunt ability to come back around and loop. And then he's just got a unique for his size and build. You just don't think he's moving as quick. I think that quarterbacks can't like they're, you know, they drop back and they're, they're feeling the looper and there's that kind of internal clock of, okay, I've got a second and a half before the looper gets to me and hits me. You know, I've got enough time to get the throw off before he gets to me. And it seems like, and it's gone back to the Auburn tape with Hall. He always seems to get there kind of like just a half beat faster than the quarterbacks anticipating to get there when he stunts inside. Or he's going cross face on the tackle and he's he's going from pushing a hard outside to just going inside. It always seems to kind of catch those quarterbacks like he's on top of me this quick. There was one play where he, he was rolling out. Um, uh, Jones was rolling out and Hall's in pursuit. And and Jones thinks he can just get the ball. It's one of those ones where you know he's rolling to the sideline. He's just trying to wait for something to break open and then just ends up throwing it away. And, but he gets kind of clobbered a little bit by Derek Hall in that moment because Hall was again just right up on top of him he's got some kind of I guess a surprising quickness would be the way to put it <laughs> right and I'm not getting the sense he's a liability against the run so I don't think there's much holding him back at this point he's too strong and big and this is where the rub comes in for Daryl Taylor who is not going to be able to do this because he just doesn't have the physical skill set to do it but Hall is big powerful and long and those those attributes tend to lead you towards as an edge being pretty solid at stopping the run, especially because he gives you good effort and high motor and all that too. In addition, uh, let's see who else. Who else? Uh, let's uh, let's go with Nwosu. Finally broke out, had a game this year. He's been phenomenal against the run the whole season, but in this game, he actually was getting to the quarterback. Had like probably four or five pressures in this game, two sacks. Um, nice to see him finally get off the schneid. I haven't felt like he's played bad, but some people were starting to get a little impatient with him. So good to see, obviously. 
Yeah, he's and I've been with you about that on. I think he's been even at least one or two of our games the most highest graded defender even in some of these games. And I think that he's been a good complete defender for you this year. Um, I think it's obvious that early on, and we'll see how this develops as the year goes on, but I think early on you were asking some of your defensive line and some of your edges to make sure that they really were narrowing in on the run first and foremost before getting to the pass rush a little bit at times. And uh, I think that he's bought into that. He's gotten paid. There's a reason he is going to buy into that. But uh, he showed you in this game, Brendan, why you paid him that money and why he's a, a top-notch edge out there. He's not a star guy. He's not going to be the Watt, guy, Miles Garrett types. But if we just look at him as being a, an upper-level guy for the position, a complete player for the position, could add three sacks because the Mario Edwards one, he had the first run. Another one of those right. plays where Daniel Jones got him dead to rights, you know. And Jones is so weird. I don't know. It's like he, he gets him with those eyes, Brendan. He gets him with those googly eyes. And hypnotizes them as they're going in to tackle him. Because how Boy Moffat yeah. came running at him, and Boy has got a direct path. He's like right. I mean, just it, you just run straight at him, and and Jones just kind of runs right out around. It's not like Boy can't run, you know. And then like Boy ain't got the wheels, and he just kind of just yeah. runs right around him. He's got this. He, he weird, stumbled right. Yeah, he just kind of took a. He just kind of took a weird. It wasn't even like Jones did one of these like. Huh. It was just Jones is looking at him and he just he looked dead in the eye of the, those googly eyes. And I swear to God, it's just they they start seeing the googly eyes going like this, and then he's <laughs> he's gone. You know, there's like, what what was wrong with his eyes? What happened? But uh yeah, he was great. He got the two sacks in addition on that. He was active throughout this day, and uh he's going to continue to be a solid guy in this rotation of edges that we have. Mm -hmm. Um Julian Love, first really good game as a Seahawk, I think. Best game as a Seahawk so far. Absolutely. Yeah. Didn't notice any like big missed tackles. Didn't give up a ton in coverage. Made a play in the backfield. Uh, just all around solid. That's what I thought we were going to get this year from uh, Julian Love. I did too. You had the early collision on there in the first drive there where you're like, oh no, we've had a couple of these moments already. Is it going to be more miscommunication today? But he did. A, he had an excellent game out there. Great as a tackler. Great in coverage. Good job on Devin Witherspoon's pick six to get back up there and really yeah. get into position to make a block to free that up for a touchdown. You know, you needed that at that moment. I don't know if your offense was going to do a whole hell of a lot more over the course of the day after that point and uh, him getting to get that, that block laid. And because I think Witherspoon was kind of starting to suck some wind about the 50 yard line. I think he was like, where's the cruise control button? Which <laughs> <laughs> one of these is the cruise control? It's this one. <laughs> My favorite is when they do it and then it gets called back on a penalty. Oh, so I know. They did the whole thing yeah. for nothing. You see them just over there. <sighs> Give me the oxygen. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Miles Adams, first career sack. He actually played pretty good today as well, I think. Or yesterday, yeah. excuse me. Pure sack. Bounced right off the block. Got back there. Shunas Daniel tried to, to go out there and get mobile and scramble around. But yeah, he was good. He's been... He's got some flashes this year. He's not another guy that's, you know, probably a little bit buried on the depth chart as far as the actual snap counts he's getting versus the other guys. Guys like Draymond Jones out there that you have him. But he's had a couple moments where he's flashed in pressures. The Carolina game, he had a couple of them. Um, and so good good step forward for him. A guy that both you and me have liked for a while. I thought maybe this is a guy as a potential who could step forward like that. And again, to put it in the guy's got to fit into roles. You'll have your star power guys, you'll have your superstar guys. But then you have your guys that are just really solid on your team. And part of laying that whole foundation for what makes a team the, a true contender, you need guys like this if they can kind of ascend to that role. But he is still – he's not yet gotten there to where I thought he could quite get to with Miles. But right, did think he played solidly in this game, yeah. Played well enough to earn 20 or so snaps a game going forward, I think. 
I would think, uh, and I think especially with Jaron Reed and them probably trying to manage this groin situation he's dealing with. Um, I know he's doing some zero attack, but I think he's doing some of the other some stuff at times too out on the you know on the edge. So you can mix him in there. And Adams has gotten upsized where you can have him at times. I think run. It's technically a one tech. It's not a zero tech. So you know I think Adams can run some of that one tech occasionally in there. But um, you know he's he was good in this game and he's been okay. He's been okay this year so far. He hasn't been bad or disappointed, but just he's been solid. And uh, finally, I think we got to go to the player of the game. I think we got to go to the man of the hour here. Uh, we got to talk about Devin Witherspoon. And I remember this offseason, people would talk about Witherspoon being a great tackler and great in run support. And there were some people who would say, like, I don't want to hear about what a cornerback can do with tackling and run support. That stuff is meaningless. That's like trying to figure out which quarterback is the best kicker. It doesn't matter. I hope those people are figuring out it matters a lot because that guy might be the best tackler on the team right now. And the way he plays just, it looks like he's playing a different sport in that regard than everybody else on this defense. I feel like he's, um, uh, he's as good a tackler as you're going to find the cornerback position to your point. And you know, it's the, what is, how's the saying go? It's not the size of the dog. It's the size of the fight in the dog, something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and that is very much when it comes to football, a, a true thing. Uh, does it help to sometimes be monstrous size and just bigger than everybody else? Sure. But that doesn't just mean that that's the only way for a guy to win or, or that's the only way to find guys that can go out there and, and be dominant in certain physical aspects of this game. And Witherspoon brings a physicality to the position that you don't normally get. Corners tackling now become more important than ever. I mean, the du jour route in taken out of the McVay scheme and what McVay did is he wanted those six foot wide receivers with a little bit of heft to them so he could bring them in on motion pre-snap have them go and take out a defensive end and you don't lay the block for long, right? Those, those receivers aren't going to hold up there for three or four seconds. They just come down and it's, it's just a quick bang block. And you have the, you go to the outside on that play with the running game. It's a pitch play or it's an outside zone. And though it's such, it's with a fast back normally so that by the time the defensive end recovers, he's out of the play by the, by the timing of the play, he's, he's been neutralized. So now what does this leave? This then leaves the corner on the edge, one-on-one -on, -one on the back. And so offensive systems are trying to build themselves to th create those situations because they're going to trust that their back can break that tackle. And if he does, and you've created the numbers game to one side of the field with your blocking setups, he's gone. It's it's a house run or it's a 40-50 yard run. And, and so having a corner can come up and be a sure tackler with that. Looking at the Niners last year and how their that defense played well, we get caught up in the front seven and, and the front four. And man, they just got beast up front. Their corners tackled last year. When they were asked to and tasked to, they came up and they played it like linebackers in their ability to go up there and tackle. And that's becoming more and more of, I think, an important part in this modern era because of the way uh, teams are doing so good at scheming up to neutralize your line and neutralize some of the other guys in the front seven in order to put those corners on that island and say, can you hold up against this 225 back who's had some buildup speed coming up downhill on you? Right. And... I'll tell you what I didn't expect, and I understand he was unblocked, but I was not expecting Witherspoon on the Blitz to be such a problem. Like uh, PFF gave him four pressures in this game. I only saw three. I guess there was a fourth one in there somewhere. But um, is this going to be a thing going forward, do you think, with Witherspoon on one side and Adams on the other side, and you don't know who's going to Blitz? You don't know if they're both going to Blitz or one's going to Blitz? Like, Is Witherspoon on the Blitz something you think that's sustainable, or was that just... Uh, they they gave it to him too easy. No, it is sustainable. Um, and it's there's a, there's a a very key point to this when we talk about both of them going from either side. And 
first, why it will work is for the same reason that you saw him reaching up over 20 and a half miles per hour in the open field after the interception. He is very quick and he is fast. We get sometimes the one or the other with a cornerback. He brings both to the stable here. And um, I think Tariq Woolen does as well. But Devin's really got that to his game. And that does help to make a good blitzer, especially having that tenacity of willingness to tackle, right? You have a a blitzer corner that blitzes, but if he's one of those business decision guys where I'm not really a big fan of having to tackle, they'll come back there lightly. You saw last night, he'll come back with force. There was one play there with that. If Daniel didn't kind of adjust – the, the hit that was coming from Witherspoon coming off the edge, it was going to be, it was going to hurt. He was going to give yeah. him one of his, his Witherspoon specials. And uh, why I, th- I say it's important with, with Adams and Witherspoon on either side, Brendan, is that we come back to the five man blocking schemes. And so you have a five man blocking scheme. And in 2021, Adams came here and you blitzed him at that super high rate to begin the year. You bring him down and it's a five man pressure look that you run. And the problem is you go to a five-man offensive line pressure look, that's five on five then. So the offensive lines would just slide their protection. Okay, right tackle, you take Adams. Okay, guard, you go to end. Okay, center, you take on the defensive tackle. So everything just slides to the right. And it gets very simple for offenses then to adjust their protections for Adams when he's coming down that way. Now, what happens when I have the threat of it coming either way? Well, I might just end up sliding the protection away and leaving a blindside blitzer to have an open door straight to me as a quarterback, unhindered. And that's just what happens with those kind of things when you have both of them going is that they'll slide it to Adams and then here he comes and it's going to be wide open and free because teams aren't expecting it. And the other thing with this, Brendan, is they don't have a lot of tape on this kind of stuff with us. So they're not like, yeah, that's what they like to do. Look for this. When you come up, if you see Adams doing this, look for this read with that. And it's, you've never done any of this stuff. It's all being put on the tape for the first time. It's going to catch teams off guard and unaware. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling like we got something really special that we're going to unleash as soon as uh, the uh, as soon as Adams does get back. Which, by the way, from my understanding, he's not going to miss a game, so he'll probably be back for Cincinnati, and we can throw him at uh, Joe Burrow, who cannot move right now. That that'll be interesting. Very interesting to see where Burrow's at, and does change where my view is. It's one of the things I'll be watching closely this weekend with him. I think they take on the Cardinals. But seeing how he moves, because if he's near 100%, I think he's tough to deal with. I think we're going to have a hard time going in there and getting the win. Cincinnati's going to want that game, um, depending on where they're at, because I think they've had a little bit of scuffling early on here where they've kind of set some work up for themselves to have to overcome a bit. But if he's diminished, he is what makes not only that offense run, he is what makes, in my opinion, that team run. The defense is solid. They've got playmakers like Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, so it's not to undersell those guys. But to me, he is the... He is the straw that stirs that drink. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, of course, Witherspoon with the interception. Terrible throw. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But he still made the play. Still made the play. It's terrible throw. It's a, it's a real lazy route by the receiver. It's He runs yeah. that zid, that zipper route where he's he's supposed to, like, go one way and then come back the other way, right, just like a zipper. And he sort of just sort of ran it three steps to one way and then didn't really end up coming back the other way. And then I think the other receiver was supposed to come underneath by what Daniel Jones thought he was going to do, and he just didn't. But um, this is what happens, Brendan, why I hammer on this and why we've talked about this so much, and I sometimes become probably a little bit annoyingly obsessed with this. The reason I've hammered the blitz stuff so often is for the results you got in this game. Because this kind of game, this kind of door to this game being opened up has been waiting to happen for a very long time. There's a book on the Seahawks and the way they play defense, especially when they lean into their soft zone defenses and how to beat that. There isn't a book on this. There isn't a cavalcade of plays that you can call upon to say, this is how you're going to solve this thing that we've never seen from this team or this defense or Coach Carroll ever before. 
Certainly not the rate that they could run it. And when you did it, you set a franchise record. This is why I hammer it so hard, Brendan, is because it's waiting for them to take. Because unlike past seasons where you might have been in 2018 going, okay, defenses, since this is, we're a little bit away from the Legion of Boom days now. What do we do? Let's blitz. You could have said that, but you still had off cover zone corners on the outside. You had safeties that weren't built to blitz. You had only Bobby that was probably really a good top notch blitzer. KJ Wright was not anything special when it came to blitzing. So you just right. didn't have the personnel. You could have said that. You could have said, how about we try this? And they could have tried it, but it didn't mean you had the personnel in place in order to execute it and be successful with it. Now you do. Now you're stocked to the gills across the board with that kind of talent to make this happen. It's right there. Now they just have to, to complete the process, Brendan, you know, just complete the process, like completing the Des Bryant catch, you know, just complete it all the way through, mm -hmm. roll with that ball in your crate of that ball in your hands, roll to the back of the end zone. Cause I feel like, and I'd love to hear if you feel the same way that if they will lean in like that, like did this last week. And you can't maybe run into the propensity you ran this week moving forward, but if they something more nearer to that than where it's been, I think this defense can find a new top end to it this year from where we thought they were at the start of the year, or what we thought their top end could be. Uh, based on where the talent was, how how young they were, and of course also how not particularly good they were the prior season. Yeah, I mean, I, I if we don't, I feel like I've already seen this episode before, right? I've seen how this this ends. I've seen how this show ends. I already know yeah. the ending. Let let me watch a different show at least. I don't yeah. see how anybody could be against that. I I would I would certainly applaud them even if it didn't work. I really would, and I I I fully commit to that. If it didn't work, and you come to find this left too many holes in the back end, we just get a guy better in our zones this next off season. I, I, I but at least it would be a try of a thing that you've not yet really ever fully tried, and and not to the degree in the way you could do it now. The 2020 year was just it was an unimaginative way of blitzing Jamal Adams. It was hey we got Jamal, let's just blitz him every time off the edge every single time. That's not what we're talking about here, you know. And what I love tonight, and what last point is, Brendan, what they did in those blitzes, and not just making him those five man blitzes to Nowheresville, bringing the sixth and the seventh extra guy, overwhelming the protections, getting yourself in a position to have a free rusher who was going to be unblocked coming right for Daniel Jones. And then what you get on the back of all this, Brendan, you talk about that play there at the goal line. Why that then happens where Daniel Jones' clock at that point is jumpy and sped on up because of all the damage you've done with those blitzes. There is a, a buildup effect of that over the course of a game where by the end of the game, the, the, this is the, the, the term we say, we say when quarterbacks are seeing ghosts, getting jumpy in the pocket, feeling pressure that's not there, that's what you start to get. And those themselves can cause interceptions without you even doing anything at that point. Just you've got them confused and rattled and in his head. And it's a place that we don't put enough quarterbacks here in Seattle with our defense in recent years. Yeah. Yeah. I pretty much agree with all that. I can't really think of anything to say about any of that except, uh, there's a potentially something really special going on here if we can just tap into it more often than just last night. Uh, absolutely. Uh, let's see here. Pretentious Cameron, thank you for the member message for 21 months. Go Hawks, love the show. Thank you, Pretentious Cameron. Go Hawks, Cameron. Uh, Y2K, thank you for the $2. The Withering Spoon. <laughs> You know, the most dangerous enemy in Minecraft is called the Wither. Okay. So if Correct. you go with something with that, you're going to appeal to the Zoomers. The Zoomers are going to be all over that. All right. Well, we'll add Withering Spoon. I'm going to run a poll on this eventually. So 
I still agree with Brendan. We don't have a we don't have a Cambodian beef stick option like we did with Zach Charbonnet yet. Like we don't have one that's just a home run quite yet. But Withering Spoon's pretty good. Y two K. I'll add it to the yeah. list. We're going someplace. We're, we're getting we're, there. We're getting there. We're making progress. Narc Diaries, thank you for the dollar ninety nine hitter spoon. My dad hearted it, and I and hearted heard it and liked it. Hitter spoon. Okay. I'll Heading put it on in the, the right list. direction. Yeah, that's an improvement. We're, we got some good options here. Uh, let's see here. We got a couple. Uh, we got this one as well. Chris Cam, thank you for the two dollars. Devin is a glitch in the matrix. There is no spoon. <laughs> I kind of like where it's going, but I don't know what the actual nickname is. Like we've already had the matrix with Sean Marion. You can't steal somebody else's nickname. Yeah, we're we're on the case here though, Chris. I, you guys, we're 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 getting close. It, well, I, it's one of those we'll know it when we when we hear it for sure. But we're we're sort of getting down the line, I think. You know. Yeah, and the snail. Thank you for the two dollars. I like Spoon. My concern is his size, the way he hits. Yeah, that's why they're going to go to flag football eventually, right? Because here we have a player who tackles really well, hits hard, and instead of just being thrilled about it and being excited about it, everyone's like, "Oh, he's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt." And that's why we're going to go to flag football eventually, isn't it? Maybe. I mean, the NFL would probably not mind that if they could get the fans to buy into it. But um, yeah, he's uh, he's a little bit smaller guy. The hitting is a is a thing you might worry a little bit about. Um, but I I think that this is part of when you drafted him, you knew this is what you're getting, and you're not going to tone that down in him. Coach Carroll says that he picks his spots, and I would tend to believe that. Um, and say that, that that sits in line with what I've seen so far. He's not just out there trying to lay, you know, the, the, the death shots at every single turn. He's, he is picking the moments to do it, but that is who he is as a player. It'd be like getting cam chancellor and being like, you know, cam, this is going to eventually, if you guys think about it, you know, what is that neck injury that cam had? Did that come by the violence of the amount of hits that he had? And cam chancellor had his career cut kind of short, didn't he? By that neck injury. And so even Cam Chancellor, this man that looks like the Terminator on the football field, who's 6'4 and 235, 240, you know, his size didn't prevent him as a hard hitter from being, you know, any healthier. And you want to get some hard hitters on the field. You'd like to have some guys that can punish guys out in the field. It is nice to add that to defense. I know even in this modern age of finesse ball and lack of physicality, but uh, I, I think that you just got to say this is the – the risk that we knew we were taking when we drafted him snail to me and it is a concern it's a valid concern but it's one that you just say hey his what he will bring with those hits and the juice he'll give to this defense and potentially the big plays that he can cause um worthwhile for us to do and it's it's to get the most out of him as a player as well but uh at the end of the day he's got to play the way he plays i think you do have to live with the results a little bit on something like this just like you do with jamal adams he plays a little crazy but I think you got to let him hunt and live with the results. That's how Agreed. I feel about it. Agreed. Yeah. I, it's just, it, it's a, uh, it's a violent sport. It's going to do that from time to time. Okay. Uh, I think that kind of closes the book on the defense, but uh, everybody played well, pretty much. You know, we could talk about Draymond. We could talk about Woolen, Diggs, Jaron Reed, even Mike Jackson played pretty good. No mm -hmm. real big problems there. So, I mean, we could sit here all day and talk about the way these guys on defense are playing, but, uh, uh, we got to move on at some point. So suffice to say, it was a full team effort. Absolutely. One of the better ones we've seen in years here. So let's flip on over to the offense here. This is where things get a little more mixed, I would say. Things mm -hmm. are a little less 
uh, Dreamland here. Uh, very sloppy and weird at the start, that first quarter. Like, I'm not really – I don't really think it's a big problem that we had a lack of production. Like, the lack of production, I understand. We've got a full fleet of backup offensive linemen out there. So, I understand that. But that first quarter, there was a lot of sloppiness. We had a ton of penalties, first couple of drives. Um, there was the uh, DK stepping out of bounds before catching the third down pass. He had a very obvious hold in the open field, basically in front of everybody. You had multiple calls on the offensive line, although the one on Haynes was BS. Complete. Uh, he got he got driven to the ground. He did not hold. Like, yeah, if he gets run over, I and it's the officials don't call that. I've seen that happen throughout the NFL very consistently, and it's not called consistently by the different officiating crews. If you get ran over, you get ran over. That happens in football sometimes. Sometimes the guy across you is bigger and stronger. It doesn't. If you go flying to the ground, and he rolls over you, then he falls down. It's like you're not tripping him. He just he just he beat you on the rep, you know, yeah. and lost his feet doing so because he was so probably over aggressive in his approach like that. Yeah, but the one on Bradford was legit. The one on Metcalf was legit. That's fine. Um, the um, the offense just in general that first quarter was tough, although I will say I don't know how they overturned the Walker touchdown on the first play. I didn't see I anything either. conclusive. I didn't either. I, I, I'm still a little scratching my head on that one, but whatever. So there's a little bit of drama on that side of the ball as it goes along. We're getting all these injuries at a certain point. It's like, Literally every spot on the offensive line is occupied by a backup or a guy playing out of position. So there's only so much you can expect. I'm not really here to run anybody down. Uh, we already talked about Gino getting hurt a little bit. Obviously scary. I think Drew Locke played heroically. I was proud of him. He didn't play perfect. I liked what Drew Locke did more or less. Receivers not really helping him out. And honestly, overall in this game, I think if there was any part of this team that underachieved a little bit, it was probably our receiving core, which is supposed to be a strength. There were like three or four drops. There were some penalties, not a great game by the receivers as a whole, but um, I, I guess you could say they did what they needed to do. Most of the points were created by the defense off of turnovers. Um, they're not getting helped out by their kicker right now at all. Their kicker's not really doing much to support, but I just can't get that mad about most of the stuff that happened on the offense because I mean, you can look on the other side and see what happens to most NFL teams when they have their entire backup offensive line out there. And then you look at what we're doing. We're, we're the, the ship is still floating. It's just not going as fast as we would like it to. So I that's kind of how I feel about it. I think you're being really correct and right on this one. And it's, you know, as fans, we, we definitely have expectations and hopes and wants. I think we got as much as we can be realistic in our outlook of things. I think one of the things that it strikes me oftentimes, Brendan, with people that do the evaluation of football, and this is talking heads or people that just look at the sport, but something that, that jumps out to me with them is the lack of of building in and, and thinking about what's going on with an offensive line as it as it equates to the performative level of the offense and specifically the quarterback and how they're doing and what you know if they're under duress or if they're stressed out or they're under they're not able to now look functional and they'll come back and they'll say, oh, Justin Fields, he sucks, he can't do anything as a quarterback, he can't. But we come back to the base terms there with Chicago where, yeah, but you never got them the offensive line. Is him not sucking? Is him playing bad through this time having a lot to maybe do with the fact that that line in front of him is is a crap show and he's having to overcome that week in and week out? And if you do that over a year or a two-year time frame with a young quarterback, you're going to you know build in bad habits. 
that stuff comes back to this. And I know that's a different thing with us here because this isn't a young quarterback and Geno Smith with them back there. But it is a then back to it makes it hard. And it makes it not just a little hard. It makes it really hard to try to go out there and, and make something happen. We saw it in the second half of that Rams game where we got seven yards over the back of that whole two, two quarters of play. Once we got those first two backups in there before they had a chance to kind of, okay, how are we going to fix this? How are we, what are we going to do to adjust around this? How can we get this to, and so them to get to the functional state, I think is absolutely been awesome. And Waldron gets a ton of credit. Dickerson gets a ton of credit. Pete gets a ton of credit for being willing to not just go into the box and try to run the ball 24 seven over these last three games. Cause he, the old Pete might've done that. OP might have, again, three-fifths, four-fifths of my offensive line. We're running the ball 65% of the time, and we're going to just try to grind this, this game out on our leather ass and try to make it happen. And he didn't do that, Brendan. And I think that that, that to me is, is all of those guys get, get lauded for that and doing that. One thing I will say in this game, though, we got into the third quarter, and there was a point where we were, run, we were passing to run at about a five-to-one rate as we were pretty deep into the third quarter. And from I love what Waldron's done, and he's been magnificent in his play calling. I didn't quite understand though how you go on the road into New York, you're down, you're down five fifths of your offensive line by my measure of it. You move Brown out of out of center to guard. You you are five new offensive linemen to me at that point. I don't care if he was a starter at center. How you don't have a little more balance built into your play calling especially when you have the two running backs we have that have shown they don't need things blocked up in order for them to find yards and and not just a few yards but to break off big plays even including in this game um and including the fact the giants aren't particularly a great stop in the run i i i wasn't really understanding I, I could see in Detroit conceptually what Waldron was trying to accomplish i could see against carolina panthers what he was trying to get done i couldn't quite see as much in this game what the plan was here offensively way too much passing at times and not enough of going back to the run. And it just, it, I, it didn't need to be so one dimensional in my opinion. Yeah. I was a little confused by some parts of the game plan as well. Like I, I understand the need to threaten it, but until we start running sprint screens, good in practice, we need to just take them out of the playbook because you can't tell me that we're running screens amazing in practice. Everything's going great. And then you get to a game and it's like that. Boy, so non-functional, dude. Just, I'm just not believing that that's what's going on here. You can't even get so, it completed. You can't even get the mm -hmm. ball like past the defender's hand to the back now. We, we used to have to get to where there's no yards to get, but now we can't, can't even get it past the defender's long arm. He's still yeah. not going to. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why. Thibodeau was getting single teamed by uh, Kerhan so much. Like we didn't help him out on a couple of third downs. And I think like three third downs and all three times Thibodeau made him pay. Like he got two sacks and then he almost had the pick six actually. Yeah. So um, I don't know what was up there. Like I know Kerhan's playing well, but I felt like he kind of got hung out to dry in this game a little bit by the game plan. Um, and, you know, we still did a lot of the stuff that I like. I saw a lot of really weird pistol type formation things, two tight ends flanking Gino on one side. And then the other side, there's a running back, just really fun stuff. But I felt like there was a little bit of maybe an assumption that Curhan would be fine on his own against Thibodeau. And that was like one of the things on offense that didn't work. Um, don't really know what to say about what was happening in, happening at the end of the half there where we called timeout to run the ball, run the clock out. Do, do, do you have any read into that? I was trying to figure that one out. I don't have any good theories. 
No, I, 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 the only thing I can think of is that they were, they were hoping maybe the backs would bust off a 25, 30 yarder and then they could adjust the strat and go, okay, let's, let's go now. But I think they just sort of, were going to slow roll at the end and kind of lean into the, um, lean into the lead where it was at and rolling to halftime. I think it was like Carol was flirting with the thought process of kind of going for it, but not fully buying in, in that drive, you know, fully going for it. He was kind of like, let's do it. Kind of let's, let's. No, not not too much though. Not just just keep it, you know, something like that. Yeah, I saw two theories on Twitter that were about as good as anything else I could come up with. One was we wanted it to be longer to the start of the third quarter so that Gino would have more time to get ready. Like there was that. It was like okay, maybe the extra thirty seconds you buy by taking the last time out gives Gino more time. Which was like, I mean, it's stupid, but I can't think of anything better. <laughs> I just think that the the punt was also one that put you at such a long field. I believe you're down to one timeout with the 30 seconds. And so you were going to have to trust your offensive. What you were going to need to do is push the ball up the field, which meant long developing routes and and the quarterback holding the ball for probably longer than you were liking considering where the, the pass protection was sitting at in that first half. And I would imagine that rather than risk having some fumble happen where Locke doesn't see a guy coming around the blind side, fumble, and now you go from an 11-point lead to it now being a three-point lead because you got aggressive at that 30-second mark when you're not likely to push the f- a ball up the field that fast anyway. Right. I'm a coach getting the ball at the 15-yard line with 30 seconds left in one timeout. Uh, even if I have an explosive offense, that's pretty risky on that because, again, quarterback's going to have to push the ball twice up the field, 20, 25 yards there, or a 15-yard throw, and the defense knows it's coming knows you're not running yeah the only other theory i saw was that they were trying to establish a rhythm with the running game because it had been a little bit rough in that first half that that's like like i can't come up with a good theory so these bad theories are all that i've seen that i'm I'm going with here i mean it may be so um i can't do the running theory myself because you didn't run it consistently enough in the first half for it to be a matter of being inconsistent if you've only run the ball three times in the first half four times it was literally that and it bounced out by the end of the game because you got the lead and then you just started hammering the running. So it all kind of had the run pass got a little more balanced by the end. But the discrepancy through the midway through the third quarter was substantial. Yeah, I, I, I can't figure that one out myself. It's uh, interesting, though. I mean, especially at the end when we used a timeout just to run the ball up the middle again. It, it was very strange. I don't really know what to say about it, but I guess it doesn't really matter that much. It's just some... That's why I think there was a. That's why I think there was more than a single-minded approach to it. I think there was a couple things pushing that a little bit from the from the mentality and strategy. You know, where there's a part of Carol that's like, "Go for it. Let's let's get let's let's get an extra. Let's steal an extra possession. We're get the ball at halftime. Then we can go up and we can put this game to bed." And then there's the other part of him though that's the coach that goes, "There's 30 seconds left. You're on the 15 yard line. You got one timeout." Just tell Waldron to keep this conservative. Tell him to just run it up here. If you bust a run off, then you can change, call a timeout, and then you can you can go for it. There's like if he gets if uh, you know the second run, you bust that out, get up to the fifty yard line, spike the ball, and they're seventeen. Okay, now now you can make one throw down there, and get it in field goal range, and Myers can take a shot. But absent that happening, I think you're just going to be like, let's just let it let it roll at that point. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe K nine is supposed to like throw his face mask into uh, defenders' hands and try to get him to grab it. Exactly, just have have him just do yank motions as he's going through the line as he's running yeah. right through the middle line. Just have to do that motion where you can it always like somebody got his face mask pulled because it's hard. You can never actually see the hand pull in like fast motion, right? You just see the head whip, and right. uh, yeah, it could work. Some back's gonna try that someday. 
the snail, thank you for the $2. Maybe they were looking for a different formation. That's kind of what practice is for, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I it, it's, it's hard to say on this one. I think snail it's, it's kind of, and this was one where I, and we can make guesses on it, but I don't think there is a real clear indicator of what they were doing um, on it. But I, I don't think there's any doubt that Carroll was in that moment thinking a little bit of where the game is at. I get the possession after halftime. I got an 11 point lead. The very least you could say he wasn't being pushed at that moment to feel like he had to go get points. Whatever they were doing as a strategy, that was not a, a thing pressing down on his brain saying, make this happen. We got the lead. We're in control of this game. My defense is playing phenomenally. And Carroll already, when his defense is playing bad, we know he likes to lean and try to trust his defense, even if they're not necessarily doing well, because he's a defensive guy, he always will. But when they're especially playing good, you know he's most certainly going to lean into that. Uh, Daniel Bailey, thank you for the four ninety nine. Have you seen our defense against screens? I'm sure our screens are going very well in practice. <laughs> also, I heard big spoon energy. I liked that one. Big spoon so far energy. this year, the uh, defense against screens has been okay, I think. I don't think we've gotten hit yet with it. I I can't remember. Can you remember of a time? I I not know, really. We might have to wait till we're playing Niners type team, something like that. The team that really does lean on it because I don't think um, Rams have been okay with it, but they don't. I don't think that they've done it as much this year. Lions, yeah, Lions have somebody to do it. They got they've got there with um, Amon. So, but I think we've done it well. We've defended it really well. And um, I've got to be honest with you, I, as I think about it, Brendan, I mean, it does kind of feel like league-wide if I go through highlights in my mind of other teams in the league, maybe absent like the Dolphins, there's not a lot of teams out there running a lot of successful screen passes anymore, right? Like, I mean, we kind of we kind of have seen the silent death of the traditional screen game to the running back. You know, I mean, we don't see that anymore at all, do we? Whether, well, you see it a little bit, but not anywhere like we saw it 10, 20 years ago where the quarterback yeah. drops back, you free release the defensive line into his face. He loops it over the top of the line to the running back, and the running back, you know, gets on his way with all of his blockers out. What they say? He's got a convoy out front. You never hear him say that he's got a convoy out front, and it's because you never see those those um, plays run. I wonder why. I've, I've thought it's because the defensive lineman gotten bigger, but I think it's kind of an issue you see everywhere in the league a little bit now. Yeah, the league's getting boring. <laughs> right we're getting rid of the deep balls most teams don't run yeah. deep ball offenses anymore that much and get rid of the screens it's like when every single player to enter the nba had the exact same jump shot in the last 10 years after you know all the uniqueness is getting ironed out now every soon every nfl offense is going to look the same well yeah and you could say a, a person that might be a pessimist would say that's this is the nature of what the analytics do to the sport much in the way of uh, they've done to baseball where there are three outcomes home run, strikeout, or walk. And that is in the, the approach of the plate that hitters take. Um, and that you're seeing maybe something as kind of an equivalency being wrought out on the football field. Yeah, Big Spoon Energy, uh, I don't know. It's kind of cribbing on uh, Michael Penix's nickname, isn't it? We already have one of those very similar. Because he's um, got the Big Penix Energy thing going. Well, and we also have it on the team already. Because we got Big Dixon Energy. Yeah, that too. And that's a better one because that's that's more pure to the to the origins. I've added it to the list though, Daniel. For five dollars, you get it added to the list. So uh <laughs> it's it's in the it's in the kitty, it's in the hoppa, and uh we'll definitely be voting on these uh nicknames. The snail, thank you for the five dollars. No, like something from the prep for their defense, some wrinkle they thought they could exploit that just wasn't there. Eh, maybe. 
Is it, so what's he saying? He's saying that maybe we were running those plays to like we we thought maybe there was something in their defense that we could like get a big run on. Yes. Uh, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's very simple on this one to understand why they were trying to run it as much now. You have Wink Martindale, who runs the heaviest blitz scheme in the entire National Football League by a wide margin. One of the number one ways to beat the blitz in the National Football League has traditionally, be it a bubble screen, a tunnel screen, or a traditional screen to a running back, is to attack with the screen game itself. The defensive line and the pass rushers trying to get up the field, you end up with five, six pass rushers coming on the blitz in total. They're all getting up the field. You throw it up over their heads, and you've got nothing but green, green grass up ahead of you and a big play to be had. And so Seahawks probably thought they were going to catch them at a couple points, and they did actually. The calls were on a few of those calls where I counted. They did a couple of those shots from the all, not an all 22, from but the sky cam behind where Waldron did catch them with the, the sixth and the seventh blitzers coming. The problem is they were just so wide on some of their rushes, like with the Thibodeau play where Gino just doesn't have a, I can't get it. He's yeah. got to like, he's got to go to like the submarine pitcher move to try to get the ball in there. Cause there's just no, there's no direct line of sight. We need that uh, Kennedy magic bullet to, to get it completed. Yeah. I think that um, a lot of people were expecting JSN to have a big game this week because of all the blitzes. Me too. The issue kind of is JSN we know he's built to beat zone defense, right? Mm-hmm. So when you play man on him, he's not the same guy because he doesn't have the speed to just get open. So I think that's part of it too. Like there are some plays where it seemed like they would man up on him and he just wasn't really getting open. So I don't, maybe the giants are not a good team for that because they run a lot of man defense as well. So that's, that's kind of how I felt coming out of this one. Certainly possible with it. Yeah. I think to the, the fact you had to still keep employing the two and the three tight end sets as you have, um, certainly does still then also, in addition to your point on that, remove snaps too, just off the top, uh, than what he's going to, I think, normally get when we get to the place of having our near full health offensive line out there. Uh, Wu Tang Financial, thank you for the $4.99. Hitter spoon, all gas, no breaks. Hair on fire, all game. Hawks do not lose in MetLife, and we never will book it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they can't get a competent uh, teams over there in New York, we're not, maybe we won't like uh, both those teams uh, not looking too hot. That'd be awesome. If like, we're talking 30 years from now and it's like, and we're now 57 and zero going into MetLife stadium, something odd's going on here, folks. <laughs> yeah. But uh, hitter spoons on the list, man. Uh, yeah. Wu-Tang got him on the list. So he's added in there and we'll definitely throw the poll to the people on this one. Eventually. See what you guys think with it. Uh, let's see here. Voodoo Magic. Thank you for the $1.99. Spoon-sized shredded yeet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Zoomers will go for that one too, actually. Probably, though yeeting is sometimes, yeah. You can also have different meanings with the movie that I'll be trying to establish with mm -hmm. Mr. Spoon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the NFL's you know trying to get women to watch football now with showing Taylor Swift 800 times in every game. So now we got to get the zoomers in too. We got to go full zoomer with these nicknames. I, I think I can, I got about 50 more times. I can watch the, the Kelsey commercial and I'm, I'm going to just about need to start punching something. I'm like, can we please run something else? You know, anything, please something else. <laughs> but Voodoo, that's great. Spoon size shredded. I love that. <laughs> I like it. Um, so how'd you feel? Okay. Talking about, 
Gino in this game is kind of tough, right? Because he gets hurt. He's clearly not all the way there. But trying to talk about Gino in this game, how how would you go about it? I th- I think that the play calling wasn't the best to help Gino out here, in my opinion. You mentioned, for instance, not necessarily getting as much help to the tackles. Um, you weren't executing the offense with the screens, wasn't on him, just wasn't able to do it, even if the calls were the right calls in the moment. There were moments where Waldron had some great play calls that did help Gino out. I mean, there was one where I, in this game where I loved where he had a, a levels concept where Gino's rolling to the left and you've got the tight end coming short on a crosser and then he's got the deeper crosser going over the top and he's got those two options. And uh, he, he could he have gone either one. Both Disley and the guy over the top were open on the play. But um, I thought Gino did what he could do with what was available there to get. I don't think that he left a lot of yards or necessarily points out there on the board um, in his time. I just think that this there was only so much you were going to be able to pull from this game. I know there's some that are like, well, Drew Locke played better than Geno Smith and his. Drew Locke was in there for a very small sample size. And, yeah. you know, I don't think we can come to that determination on this and say that he was in that way there. Um, your Geno was up against it. I think you kind of finally had things go to where you've been maintaining and holding on and keeping the dam held together with the bungee cord as you're floating deeper into the ocean here with these injury situations. And it just reached a point where it's just one too many. The Damian Lewis one felt one too many at that point a little bit to keep making the offense, allow it to be explosive. I mean, it could be functional still, but to have the expectation level, it's going to still be able to go out there and post 30 point games, 37 point games. I just think that that's, that, that's unrealistic by fans to take that track when you're down that many linemen up there. You know, to get to 24 points in this game, albeit seven comes on the back of um, Witherspoon and have it a couple turnovers that helped you as well to get to those points and flip in the field position. But all that being said, I think that they did with what you could do with there. And he wasn't helped out again with Waldron on that play calling where you're already under that avalanche, right? And now you're just going to call pass play after pass play, which is only going to further allow the defense to get even more into pinning their ears back and going full steam, not playing the run at all at that point, just going, hey, they're not going to try to run, so let's just go after them. And that that made it, I think, a little bit harder on both Geno and on Drew Locke because I felt that way with Locke when he came in there too. Like, man, they are just shooting out of the cannon right now. The Giants are off the edge there. There's no real like trying to be under control and discipline when it came to the run game. Yeah, I, I did say it last week, I think we're going to get the Giants defense best effort because they have to win this game. And that's the mm-hmm. side of the ball that could actually be decent. So mm-hmm. I kind of thought the Giants were going to play with their hair on fire on defense. And I think they did. Not perfectly or anything, but I think they played maybe their best game of the year so far overall. I think you could say so. Yeah. And they were certainly chippy and edgy too. I, it's that old, it's that hard to quantify thing, Brennan, you got in this game. And uh, I referenced it to it last year. It was us playing the 49ers in week two after that monsoon in Chicago where they got embarrassed. And it can be at different times in the season where you hit a team this way. It could be them at their last gasp where they're, if they don't win this game, they're out of the playoffs. Their season's done. Or it can be in, wow, if we lose we lose this game, our season's going to go to hell. And you and I talked about in our pregame on this of looking at their schedule ahead, where they got the Dolphins, the Bills, they've got some tough games coming down. Mm-hmm. You lose this game if you're the Giants, it was going to be your season. And so that meant all hands on deck, get every gun out there and let them, let them light, let them fire and do whatever we can do. We're not going to leave anything on the table, you know, including even trying that trick play like they did, which got, which got snuffed out by Witherspoon, but they were going to, yeah, they were going to throw it all at you. You weren't going to get anything, you know, left in reserves for them. Um, I mean, they, they almost tried to force Saquon out there with a peg leg. That's how desperate they were to win this game. Exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. We're paying you. Come on. We came to an understanding. We gave you an extra 500,000. 
What do you think that 500,000 was? Come on. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Gino also wasn't really helped by the receivers. I thought there were like maybe four or five drops in this game. Um, the uh, I think JSN had one. Lockett might have had two. Uh, Charbonnet had the one on fourth down, which I know it's not an easy catch, but that's a catch I expect Charbonnet to make. He has good hands. He usually makes that catch. Agreed. It was thrown a little bit behind him. It's definitely one where Gino can put that a little bit more out in front to make it easier for him because it's bringing him back to the defender. But uh, you're right. There was a couple of those in this game where not necessarily super helped out. You mentioned the DK play where he stepped out. You you can't step out there. You've got control of that. That defender wasn't pushing you out and you you got, you know, you just lazily kind of got that foot stepped out of bounds. And uh, you got to be on those kind of finer details because you can control that stuff. You can't control if you lose the rep on a guy or he just beats you, but you, you can control keeping yourself in bounds as a receiver, especially when you're much bigger than the man across from you. Uh, Parkinson, nothing going on in the passing game today, but he's becoming like a great blocker, not even just a good blocker, I feel like. Absolutely, man. He's he's in there uh, putting you're, – you're seeing uh, – why with Bobo, you're usually seeing Parkinson in there too next to him as far as doing some work in there. So he's – for where he's come from Stanford, it's pretty miraculous and should teach us when we do this scouting stuff, you know, that if we do have a guy on the tape in college that does have the spirit really willing, um, that we got to be maybe open to that guy having that be able to develop in his game. It just maybe, you know, because the size can come, the girth can come, the strength can come, but the willingness is either there or that. You're either a Jimmy Graham type or, you know, you're a Zach Miller type, you know, and your mentality at the, at the position and how you approach it. And uh, Colby brings kind of the Zach Miller approach to it and how he plays it. Uh, let's see here. Jason Tudor, thank you for the $2 Canadian. Please have a none of the above option. <laughs> we will. We will, man. I'll, I'll put it in there. I want to make sure we get the right one. So we're not going to just uh, glom onto the first one that comes down the track. That sounds nice. Holy hand grenade. Thank you for the $2. Was not my idea. Defcon spoon. <laughs> it's all right it's not bad yeah, I can, all right I'm i'll add to the list it. the list is getting pretty expansive here <laughs> uh poo poo pp thank you for the 9.99 poo poo pp strikes again do you think devin witherspoon's game against the giants was better than any full game row or sauce has had who's row did he mean to say reek maybe I, I would guess that he probably means Reek. Has had, love the show, both y'all kill it. I Thank think the P answer is pretty clearly yes. Thank you, P-O-P-P-P. -P -P. Mm -hmm. Appreciate you on that. Uh, this is the best This is the best game from a Hawk corner, um, maybe in your, maybe in, and I got to go back and look at some maybe Dave Brown's games and, you know, see where maybe he was at. I know Sherman had a couple of interception games, so maybe you would pick one of those instead. But when you consider for my money, the tackling, the sacks, the interception, and a pick six to flip the field 97 yards in difference as they were about to knock on the door there and bring that game close and get all of us Hawk fans mighty nervous through the rest of that game if he doesn't make that pick. I, 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 you maybe can find a Sherman game with a couple. The Niner game, he got a Kaepernick a couple times. But the Witherspoon put this full, complete performance together where it wasn't just about picking off the ball. It wasn't just going back and taking back the pick. It wasn't just the tackle. It wasn't just the sacks. It's the hitting in addition to it. I think you really could make a strong argument that he played maybe the best game at the cornerback position in your history. It might be up there on the all-time list. I, not, I, not, not like top five or nothing, but it's somewhere on that list if you were to make a list. 
yeah, I just you don't you don't see corners put this kind of game like that together like in this way. And it's it's he's got stat the stat columns all the way across the board. Tackle for loss, tackles. It's just it's a tremendous game on his part. And you know, this is why he was a top five pick. This is why the, the Lions were frothing at the mouth to get him after us, you know, and then traded back just out of being pissed off. They traded back out of just malice and anger for the fact that we we scooped him from him. Um yeah. I I think he's showing you, man. He's showing you why. But yeah, it was. I I have to say, I think it's it's. I, we we got to hold it in that that high of regard. Guys just don't have this kind of game. I think there was a game back. I want to say eight, seven, eight years ago, where D'Angelo Hall picked off Jay Cutler four times, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's got to be up there. I, I remember reading stories about Deion Sanders, like in Isaac Bruce's first year. Uh, he was like. Uh, one-on-one with Deion Sanders for a game and held him to zero catches. And the whole game after every play, Deion Sanders is like giving him advice on how to run routes and stuff. Like trying to tell Isaac Bruce, no, man, you gotta, you gotta go like this. No, you gotta, you gotta plant harder when you're, when you're cutting. And like, he still isn't giving up any catches. I, I like that story. So I think that's a, some pretty amazing stuff that he used to do, but uh, I, uh, <laughs> it, it's gotta be on the list somewhere. It deserves its spot. That's for sure. And it's, um, the fact he's doing this, Brendan, three games into a career where he had no training camp, basically, where he's out for an injury, and yet you have him here without that that training experience to get himself ready, and he's he's popping off like this so quickly, should give us any. And to me, it gives me just that much more confidence that this is going to be sustainable, and that this kid is a, a absolute star on the rise here for us. Yeah, if the season ended today, defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, I think you have to give it to him. Yeah. Uh, uh, Carter has been uh, – it's not to take away anything from Carter, but the bottom line brass tacks here at the end of the day between Carter and him is he plays 30 35% of the snaps. Witherspoon missed the first game, and he has more snaps right now than Jalen Carter does. It's If you have one guy's playing 90 to 100% of the snaps versus another guy playing 30 to 35% of them, and that other guy's there out there to plead those plays to have that, he's you've got to factor that in and that the DROI. I mean, you, you really do in my opinion, but we'll oh, yeah. see if they do. ALG Investments LLC. Thank you for the four ninety nine. Mahomes didn't look good in a Super Bowl with three linemen down. He doesn't look as good this year because Jawan Taylor sucks. Gino survived the storm. Well said, LLG, and thank you for that donation. But beautifully put, man. Absolutely beautifully yeah. put. I gotta give it up to Mahomes for that Super Bowl, though. He tried. Like he was running around like crazy, still getting off good throws. Like he did everything he could with that offensive line. It's it's that's the key. You do everything you can with it, though. The way you boil that down at the end is really the the most important part of that statement. I agree with you. Mahomes absolutely played Superman as much as he can, but this is the place where there is going to be kryptonite on Superman's back when this stuff occurs. He isn't going to be able to Michael Jordan this thing through. It's this is how bad it gets when you lose those offensive linemen. And LG, yeah, I think you're right. I think that they've had a little bit of a um, a, a left guard that they would gotten from the the Patriots a few years ago is getting a little bit older out there. Tooney, Tooney. You had uh, Orlando Brown leave this offseason for the Bengals on the big contract extension, and so you're you're having to you know fill in over there. You're you're not as strong, but that that's because they, they wanted to sign Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown just wanted to be paid Trent Williams money, and they couldn't afford that with the Mahomes contract on the books. But they were taught by that Super Bowl, that Chiefs 
Learn the lesson from that Super Bowl. The reason that Tyreek Hill is not a chief right now, in my opinion, is because of the lesson that came out of that Super Bowl with Mahomes being that we are going to make sure that this never happens again to Patrick. He's never going to be in a position here where we're going to be having an under an onslaught, allowing him to get maybe injured and beaten up and and just having to, as you put it, survive the storm, ALG. We're never going to allow that to have to happen to him again. And uh, they've taken some strong steps. Second round pick of Creed Humphrey. The first round pick they gave up for Orlando Brown to bring him in before he's gone in free agency. Um, Thune, the money you spent there to get him in free agency, they absolutely corrected it and fixed it. But any guy, Mahomes, um, maybe not Burrow, man, because that guy seems to like he can have just a bad offensive line and he's he'll still be back there, just you know, yeah, hard of a lion slinging it as he's getting his ACL broken in half. But every other quarterback, not name that guy, um, is going to be absolutely impinged and diminished if you put them behind this kind of offensive line. In a major way, not in a minor way, not in a little bit. They'll be a little bit hard. No, they're going to look at times non-functional because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. The Snail, thank you for the $2. Best game from a Seahawks corner since Trufant. <laughs> and actually, this one's interesting because I totally forgot about this one. Trufant did have the three interception there pick six game against Arizona in 2007. Remember that one? Let's go, Snail. Snail, why am I not surprised you're the one that brought this one up? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that game, but yeah, that was the year he made the Pro Bowl. That was the year he had the pick six in the playoff game against Washington. Yeah, that was his best. That was his career year. I mean, he that was his like in his that was the best version of Marcus that we got was that season. And uh, yeah, that was a great game for Marcus Snell. Well put. Well put. That might be the best one. Yeah, that's uh, I think the conversation kind of starts and ends with those two. Probably, I would say, yeah. I think I think uh, Sherman's games were good, but I don't think he passed two interceptions, and I don't think he goes complete to the the tackle and the blitz and the hitting uh, that you can add onto it with Witherspoon there, which would put him over other Sherm's games probably. Uh, Jason Tudor, thank you for the two dollars. It's Tudor, Tudor, not Tudor, but go Hawks. Thank you, Tud- Jason. Tudor. Tudor. Okay. Tudor. All right. I'll probably be able to get that one. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Uh, so anything else on offense to really talk about? Running backs both played good, I think. Maybe Walker danced a little bit on that third and two, but I thought he got pretty much everything there was to get. I think that they've shown you why they're second-round backs this year, and this game was more of them showing you that. I think that they get what there is to get. Um, Walker gets a little bit, I know, Banged on for the dancing thing. I, I When I go back and tend to watch the tape on the All-22 this year so far, I haven't had a chance on this game yet. But when I tend to watch that end zone shot, which to, really does, it gives you the Madden-like clear view of what the back is seeing. You know, you're, you're right behind the offensive line with a shot. You can see what he's looking at. I haven't had a lot of moments with Walker this year where I've seen spots where I'm saying, okay, he's he should be taking this hole here. He should be, he should be gone in here. Instead, he bounced out wide. His decision tends to be completely on point to take it wide or to leave initial hole. And I would even say that even if it occasionally is where he's going to make that bad decision by doing so, it to me is so worthwhile for the the, the big plays that he brings on the other side of it. And it isn't like it's an epidemic of an issue for him. For instance, that big run he had at the end, the backbreaking run, Brendan was on that, you know, Carroll special duo, you know, where he loves to hit that power run right up over the B gap, you know, where it's just, we're going to come right downhill at you. So, you know, he's, he did come downhill on that run. That's what allowed him to break it out in the open field. He's still showing, I think the, the skill to get it make it happen. And, and uh, Charbonnet was as well, really, really good in this game for what there was to go out there and get. 
Yeah, I am wondering when Charbonnet is going to start picking up those short yardage carries because you would think he would be a little better at it than Walker. I don't get that. This is the point of part of the point of drafting Charbonnet is that you're not asking Walker to do that type of stuff. And if if we get into third and one and and you run Charbonnet over the back of Anthony Bradford and they get a stop, okay, right? Mm -hmm. Like I mean, you go you go you go. Hey, all right. Well, we took our power back behind our maybe our most powerful offensive lineman on this team and it didn't work. Okay, but if you're doing it with your your light back, your finesse back, and you're trying to make it happen, that doesn't make as much sense. I I'm with you on that. And this is where we come back to just some of the odd play calling from Walter in general. He's been strange at times this year down by the red zone with his affinity for throwing the ball at times rather than going to like a Charbonnet which you would think you'd do more of with you have that kind of weapon to utilize down there. Yeah. I, I mean, we're not the only team that has that problem. Like uh, the bears this Sunday, I don't know if you saw they had the fourth and one in the red zone. They're going for the first down to end the game. Effectively the game's over if they get it and they give the ball to uh, I think it's Montgomery when they've got Roshan Johnson there on the bench. It's like, and you've got Justin Fields. Like both those guys are running people over for that first down. Agreed. Yeah. I, I, oh, I know the play you're talking about. Yeah. It's, and how you don't put that in Justin Fields' hands at that time in the game, because it was a very key point of the game. And you're going to take the ball out of his hands to give it to the, yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah. I, I was, that was, that was a play I was too, was going, what? what yeah, are you? Give it, give it to Roshan or let Fields run with it. But like, I mean, the, that, that had, that, that Denver head coach had one of the biggest dumbed down baby Huey moments that we've seen from a head coach in recent years in that whole. Oh, and, and the, yeah. And that whole finish of the game, right? Like he yeah. was just the decision. I, I liked him too. I liked him too from Indy, but he's not, he's not good. <laughs> I mean, just it's, and then the not field, not going for the field goal at home. I mean, that's the coaching book is easy on that one. That's not one you have to think through. The analytics don't better inform you on that decision to, to, to not go for the field goal. Like they're not, they're not saying, Oh no, you, you go for the touchdown there. You gotta, gotta keep doing Take the field goal, man. Make Denver prove they're going to drive up the field on you to go get the score there. And even if they do, they're only going to get a field goal and it goes to OT and you still have, you know. Um, I don't mind going for it there because I think he had no faith in his defense because they had been getting run over the whole second half by Denver. And he was like, we're definitely giving up a touchdown here, so I got to try to hold the ball longer. But the reason why I think it's okay to go for it on fourth down is that Justin Fields gets it like 99% of the time. The dude is probably weighs more than most of the linebackers on Denver's team. Like he's just gonna run them over. It's it's free yards. Like remember when um, early in Cam Newton's career, when Ron Rivera never let him run the uh, QB draw on third and one and fourth and one, and then one day he just started doing it, and Cam's success rate was like twenty for twenty. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. like, it's not that hard, dude. It's not that hard. No, I I think that's definitely the better the better play call there. I just think that you do. You do, yeah, okay, so the Denver offense goes down. There's not enough time there really for them to go down and score a touchdown there. The worst-case scenario to you is that they go down and kick a field goal to tie you. And even then, it's not a guarantee they're getting the ball back for them to score because you might get the ball back first at half in overtime to have an opportunity just to take it right back at that point. And then you make the determination maybe at that time is on that drive to say, okay, on this drive, we're going four downs all the way. On this drive, it's we can't let Denver get the ball back. we got to go for the TD here and now on that. But I – I think you got to make Denver prove they can go up the field, especially this Denver offense, which while they might have had that second half, like you said, they've been a bad offense through the first part of this year. Prove to me that you can make this happen. Prove to me that you can, you know, make this make this kind of go. Off topic, but I do want to ask you. Mm -hmm. If you're you're Caleb Williams, the Bears get the number one pick. 
are you going to that poverty franchise? No, you're you're going to do the Eli Manning move, and that's yep. what I'm. I, I that's what I think is going on with his father and Caleb right now with what they're setting with the threats of going back to college, taking the ten million dollar year. I think it's a complete Eli Manning move they're setting the stage for, and uh, what you know, there'll probably be some background agreement between whoever has the number one pick, be it the Bears or if it's another crappy, a number one pick team that's a franchise that can't get right and make stupid decisions at every turn. They'll say you're going to trade this to that. And the team will, Brendan. I think the team will because the team that's trading up for Caleb, this ain't you ain't trading up for Eli Manning, right? Yeah, that's the key exactly. difference here. Like Eli Manning is a good prospect. He was even a, to be rated as a the number one quarterback in that in that crop. But this is a different beast here in Caleb Williams. And so you you're gonna get your you're gonna get your King Ransom Hall back. And and if you're if that's gonna be the case, you're not gonna be getting up in your feelings right about like oh we. We should be able to have him. We and the history of the NFL backs this up, Brendan, because we have the Eli Manning trade, but then we also have the John Elway situation where John Elway pulled the same card. Did that end up with him being forced to the Colts or having forced to go to the New York Yankees and never pick up a football again? No. Trade gets consummated. You know, you're you you want to force this as a prospect. If you're willing to take the blowback for it, uh, you can force this issue. And uh, good for Caleb because he's not going to get any blowback for it. And why should you if you're gonna be a if you're gonna be a crappy run franchise and you're you're going to make stupid decisions and not look like you have a plan in place and you're going to look like that for decades on end, then you can't blame these prospects that are now empowered more than ever to want to come out and have some control over that. Yeah, so the Bears are going to get the number one and the number two pick this year, and they're not even going to be able to get the best prospect. Drake May, baby. <laughs> Drake mm -hmm. May, you know? Yeah, that's... I mean, it worked out for the Chargers, right? They got Phillip Rivers. I think they were pretty happy with that exchange. Well, and it's that's, I mean, if you think about what they could do is they they go to a team that you know, maybe there's one of those teams this year in the draft that's got, I don't know who's got two first round picks, but they find another team that's got two first round picks and they flip flip to that or they get three first round picks into the future and they've still got that extra first round pick in this draft and they're still in a position at that point to load themselves up in the future. Even though you're missing out Caleb Williams, your consolation prize is maybe four or five extra for, you know, five first round picks in the next two years, which as we saw in our situation, that, that can be almost every bit as good as getting a, you know, not, not even franchise quarterback, but a generational like quarterback for the position. It's, it's, you're, be. you're invigorating your team in a major way. And uh, that's as much as getting a franchise quarterback right now. I mean, wouldn't you believe that that's really as much what the Bears need? You don't have much on the offensive line. You don't have much on the defense. You got really no playmakers on the outside except for maybe DJ Moore. I mean, they're going to give away Chase Playpool for I, – I don't know if they can give him away at this point for even a right. seventh-round pick. I was about to say. Yeah. So, I mean, and their running back, Roshan's nice, but he's a complimentary two-back. He ain't going to be, a, I don't think, a bell cow guy. I, you got a lot of stuff – that you need to do in there in Chicago. Part of the problem with drafting fields, you didn't have the plan in place with fields either. They're about to, this is the thing that stupid franchises do is they keep making the same dumbass mistakes. You win got fields because you didn't think he was going to last that long in the draft. And so you jumped up 10 spots and went, let's go get our quarterback. Let's go get our quarterback. Well, wait, we don't have an offensive line. Ah, it doesn't matter. Go get the quarterback. But wait, we don't really have playmakers. Ah, that doesn't matter. Get the quarterback. We don't really even have a running back. Montgomery's okay, but get him. And it's like, no, have a plan in place. Set the stage. Provide a pathway for him to be successful when you go and get that quarterback of the future. But a dumbass organization like the Bears just is ready, fire, aim, and it's and and they're out there, you know, just like just like uh, Gollum out there, just you know, our precious quarterback will save us. 
No, it won't. You've got to build a team here. There's more decisions than just one to get this right, especially with the way you guys hire head coaches. Can they draft an owner? (laughs) You can make the argument that's one of the ones franchises may be in dire need of that kind of change. Uh, I can't really think of too much else to say about the offense. Anything else you think of note? I think we, I think we pretty much covered most of what I just, let's give a tip of the cap to the tight ends again this year, because mm. they have been the fulfillment. They are still that Cerebus, that hellhound guarding the gates of our offense. I mean, that, that term is no better applied than this year is it not Brendan with the need of guarding, not just simply from a productivity standpoint, but literally guarding our, our quarterbacks and needing to chip block and help out with those guys down there. They've done that dirty work and they have done it well. They are on pace right now, Brendan for nearly, 1300 yards collectively between these three guys after coming off the season last year at 1100 yards receiving. So having even a better year than the last year that they had and uh, just such a stable, um, nice part of this offense. That's just very, very helpful in a variety of different places that, that aid us. Um, Yeah. I, I, I mean, Metcalf started the game out sloppy, but I really like what he did on the touchdown grab waiting until the last second to stick his hands out there so the defensive back couldn't really do anything about it. That was nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, nice catch too on a play where Gino had to rifle one in on a post route and he, it was out away from a wadi. And I mean, that ball was hard to catch out away from your body anyway. And then you put the velocity on it too. And then he takes a hit, still holds on to it. I think there's been times we've seen DK have that throw thrown to him in his career and it's been a drop. And so, uh, you know, he's been, I thought he was overall pretty good outside the holding pun, the stepping outside. He was, he was very good in this game. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Uh, let's see here. Member message from Byron D. Member for 18 months. I feel like Parkinson is our future tight end one. Thoughts? He is really good overall. He's got the potential to be that, Byron D. Let me say that first. I, I think there certainly is the, the potential there. What makes this sticky is I believe he's a free agent after the year, if I'm not mistaken. And he so, is, and I don't think we're keeping him. You know, we we come back around, and me and Brennan are faced with this over and over on a lot of these questions here as we're going to go round and round, which is that we are very much keenly aware and thinking at the forefront of our mind the cap situation into the future with a lot of these decisions from a Jordan Brooks to a Colby Parkinson because there is only so much money to spend. You are absolutely going to be a franchise by next year that is going to be in go-for mode. It is not in, uh, you know, let's just keep start slowly building this base up. It's now year three. Let's let's cook this out. And I don't know if there's going to be the money to sign Parkinson to a Will Disley like contract that you just signed Will to. Maybe. The other thing is, is that this looks like this is going to be a pretty good tight end class. And there might be some available options you can go out there and get in in other places. Um, I mean, hell, say nothing of a trade like a guy like a Kyle Pitts. Does he get? A, is he available on the market this offseason for something at a low end? As the Falcons seem to have no idea or understanding of how to use that guy at all. Well, he's not really a tight end, so let's start there. <laughs> well, age back because you're going to lose after this. You you lose Noah Fant, so you're going to need another another age back in there. And I think the Pitts can work in as an age back type. I think you're going to flex flex him out of times as a receiver too, but I think he can do a bit of both. And I'm not saying I'm to make a run at him, but I'm just saying that there's other there's some other options here too available to us outside of having to necessarily sign the the tight end to another contract on an extension. Yeah, I speculated in a video I made last week that Fant's going to get 16 to 17 million a year from somebody and Parkinson's going to get like eight. And I don't think we're going to be able to match it. I see Parkinson getting that. 
I can't see Fang getting more than 12 myself. Uh, I, I mean, I, I was just looking at the Higby deal, and I'm like, okay, if Higby's getting 13 and the cap is going to go up and Fant is five years younger than Higby, I think Fant's <laughs> getting more than Higby. It might be. I mean, you're, uh, and inflation is a is a sucker in, in the NFL. I mean, it's always going up. So um, price of doing business might drive him up that high. He's we'll see. And he is on, I will say this about fan. He is on pace right now for like 680 yards receiving this year, which would be his best of his pro career. And so, you know, going into your final, you're having your best year of your career, your pro career certainly can aid to getting you that, that kind of deal. I would, I would have a tough swallowing of the pill though, to, to be doing a $15 million deal a year to fan. I, there's no way I can come. I wouldn't do the $12 million deal to fan and myself. I, I'd much rather be doing an $8 million to Parkinson than 14 or $15 million to fan. Yeah, I mean, like Evan, look at the contracts guys like Evan Ingram get. We're just, I feel like it's just happening that way. Higby, too. I mean, Higby's not, I don't think Higby's better than Fant. I don't. I don't know on that one. I mean, he's, I think he gets utilized more in that offense, and it's that productivity of the utilization. I think that ups the difference his value. in productivity between the two is very, is basically nil, though. Like the only reason why fans production was down a little bit last year was because we used three tight ends. If he was on a typical NFL offense, he would have produced right up there with Higby. I think that's fair. Yeah. He's been 300 yards the past couple of years. He's got a 734 in the books and a 620 on the books. So he's had a couple of high watermark seasons that, that fan has had, yeah. but like you said, fans also a little younger. I so, think uh, fan had a couple of those in, in Denver. It just was on a terrible offense where it didn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, you might get up around that, that, that mark. Certainly, um, definitely not us to pay him though. <laughs> if he does, we can't, we can't do that. Yeah. We got to put that money in other places. Uh, special teams. Uh, so special teams, Jason Myers is dead to me. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Come on, Brandon. It was a 50 yarder, man. What do you want the man to do? It's a, it's a big kick. It's a long ways. Not after Graham Gano shows you up on the other side with a 55-yarder. Oh, I told you, man. We we knew this was coming. This was the car yeah. crash that was a slow motion, and we saw it. We knew from the offseason coming in what was going to happen as soon as the deal was signed. Man, you can he's he's got uh what is that one clock that they the worldwide clock that's so precise that it's like timed up with the core of the earth or something? It's within like a, a millimeter of a second of accuracy. He's like yeah. that on his kicking consistency. Just in, in his inconsistency of consistency. Right. Uh, not dead to me, though, is Michael Dixon. Another phenomenal Ooh. game from him. My God. If, get from, if a man can be on a, a Hall of Fame trajectory as a punter, which you can't, unless your name's Ray Guy, uh, he's on it. And he's maybe having his best year of his career right now. Brendan, we're leading the league in uh, punting yards, in average. Five punts inside the 20-yard line. Um, full meal deal kicker. He gives you everything that you want from the position, hang time, directional punting. I love what he did in this game, Brendan, where he punted it. And he did that thing that people have done to DJ Dallas, where the, he, he sees the punt returners too deep. And so he <laughs> kicks it in front of him and gets that roll factor going. I mean, he had one that rolled to the two yard line that just came to a stop. One of the guys, yeah. <laughs> he's had so many of these plays where these guys can't stay in bounds. He was like, F it. I'm just going to drop it right down there and stop it right at the, at the two on my own. But then even the one where he got, he got bashed, he got hit on that one where that usually happens to a punter. And it's like, it's a 30 yard kick. He still got that sucker 45 yards out. Even when he mm -hmm. got kind of nailed there right after the kick. And uh, yeah. Dixon's You're awesome, right. man. Uh, DJ Dallas, speaking of which, 
Good game by him. He had a good kick return mm-hmm. and a really good punt return, actually. It's yeah. it's scary, but he, he's getting it done. He is getting it done, and it'll be interesting to see what this team chooses to do with the punt return situation once uh, an Eskridge comes back, if they're looking, or even a McIntosh eventually, if as as he is playing uh, well at that. we got to give him props, too, for not taking the bait there at the uh, end of half where the Giants players tried to knock him on that when the ball's dribbling around and yeah. he kind of the Giant player. That was the Giants being kind of chippy in this game, trying to, it felt like, instigate some stuff to get us to get outside of playing ourselves. And DJ stayed even keel, went over the sideline. They gave him, they congratulated him for doing it, um, but also good on his part, keeping his head there, as the team did throughout. Yeah, Giants special teams unit, though, it's, uh, uh, that's a, uh... That's a problem we have not had here in Seattle for some time, a terrible special teams unit. When you don't take it seriously, when you don't, I know they got Graham Cano, who's a, who is a good um, kicker, but when you don't take it seriously across the board in a real meaningful fashion, like Carol does, and we see him take it super seriously, uh, maybe too much at times with like Nick Belor signings and Jason Myers at 5 billion a year, but probably better to be on that in the scale as to be that team that ignores it has that year like the chargers did that one year where weren't they like the number one dvoa on both sides of the ball but yes. it was special teams that that end up like that that is the most brutal of years when you have this top-notch team oh you're loaded for bear we're going to the we're going to the super bowl it's just a matter of whether we're going to win it or not and then you have your special teams units allowing punt returns kick returns kickers can't kick punters can't punt and you're going, this is going to be what finishes us off. This is what's going to be the thing that takes our season out. It's happened to a lot. It happened to Packers a couple of years ago when, on one of those years where they were in the, uh, just that Aaron Rodgers two-year MVP run. You know, yeah, they had that, yeah. they had a year there was that they, they Packer fans would absolutely acknowledge our season got done in by our crappy level of play on the special teams unit. My God, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Even, even the, uh, the year we played them in the NFC title game and beat them in overtime. Right? Okay. They gave okay. up the trick play, which was a terrible job by their special teams unit because the fake should have been seen a mile away. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and then the onside kick. That's right. The guy handling the ball when you're told not to handle the ball in that situation. If you're instructed correctly, you know not to do that. And you, if you're not just instructed correctly in just general terms, but before you go out there on the field, your special teams player coach should be going, okay, you're not going to touch the ball. You're there to hit the up man. You're here to block the up man. You've got Jordy Nelson behind you to catch this thing. So do not catch the ball. Um, but yeah, it's it's something that is it, – it, some people, fans don't always get excited by special teams, but it is something that can be to your benefit. And if you ignore it, it's uh, it's like ignoring going to the dentist, ignoring brushing. Suddenly you wake up one day and you got cavities in your mouth and your your, your teeth are hurting. That's right. Uh, Casra Solari, thank you for the 499. What do you guys think is the reason that the Hawks are so underrepresented? After Monday Night Football blowout, all the media talks about is how bad the opponent is. Well, I mean, there's a reason why the Giants have been on national TV three times in four games to start the season. Yeah. Like it's it's a zone that we reference a lot, Kasra, with with this where, you know, and and I've had a long time to make my piece. It frustrated me as a younger man much more. I'm not gonna lie to you on that, where I go, why can't we get the credit? You know, why is it that it's so hard for us to to get our props when when we do well out here? And uh, when we were in the Legion of Boom, you had the historic defense, you were. They they recognized us at that point, but it took that. It took you having a legendary defense and beating the all-time offense. To, to finally get kind of your flowers on that situation. And other than that, it doesn't matter what sport we're talking about. It's just kind of hard for us to get much 
much love from out there on the East Coast. Those folks are three hours ahead. I think just a lot of times they go to bed and just sort of treat it like the West Coast doesn't exist. And it's unfortunate, but it's just kind of a human nature thing, I think, at this point, because I've seen it over multiple generations. And they want the big markets to run. You know, they want New York to go. They don't like seeing a game like that. They want New York to go out there and beat us. And, okay, see, New York's real. And we got, you know, Jets may be out of this, but at least New York's going. So one of the New York market teams is is, is cooking up. But um, they didn't see that was the case. So they, you know, gotten their feelings probably a little bit with that. But um, I I look at it like this. It don't, when it comes down to winning Super Bowls, respect don't matter at the end of the day. Because once you raise that Lombardi, nobody can say nothing. Exactly. They can't stand any at that point. You can, you can, oh, we do. No matter East Coast, West Coast, the trophy is the same size. You know, we 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 got the win. We went through the dogs to do it, and uh, it's legitimate. And and that's where the eyes got to be on that particular prize because then you'll get your props. Yeah, that's the attitude I take as well. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just doesn't mean anything to the wins and losses. And the part I like, especially about the Costa, is there's something nice. I think Brennan feels this way too about just being in that underdog role. This team seems to kind of excel in that. Well, we're not really being, we're kind of being slept on. We're kind of being ignored. Okay. I think that's about all we got. I think we covered everything that needs to be covered. Uh, we went a good two hours, 10 minutes or so. Uh, it was a great win. It was a great game. Uh, the team showed a lot of promise, a lot of reason to believe that this season could be on the right path after a rough start. Three wins in a row. We got the bye week now, which ends up being a pretty good bye week to have. Very, very well timed. And now all we have to do is just wait to see what things are looking like in about, what would it be, uh, well, nine days. We'll do our pregame video for the uh, Bengals game. We're going to be taking a little bit of a break with the uh, with the show, but uh, we will be back, as we always are. Absolutely. We'll get this cooked back around. And certainly, guys, if there's any uh, breaking news, if we do get a trade come down or anything like that, we will uh, we'll certainly jump on it and do an emergency stream if something comes down like that. <laughs> So uh, thank you, everybody, for showing up tonight. We had like 440, 450 viewers throughout the night pretty consistently. Still got almost 430 people here. Uh, I will be live on Twitch later tonight. We're moving through Act 3 of Baldur's Gate 3. So if you want to come watch that, Mm -hmm. head on over there. And um, we will be back at this again next week with The Hawk's Nest. Thank you for coming out to the show tonight. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me here. Uh, Add me on. Mm -hmm. And after a game like that, I don't think I'm going to have to remind that many people, but there's probably somebody out there, right? There's always a few stragglers, Brendan. You know, there always is. Yeah. They had something to do Monday night. They had to watch the kid play a Little League. Maybe it's they- DVR'd. You know, they're going to watch it on Thursday. They're not in a rush. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no sports on tonight or tomorrow night unless you want to watch these baseball playoffs. So got to have something to do. <laughs> did you by the way quick quick thing on this uh what'd you what you make it to poto's comments you see that that horse yeah crowd? it's pretty pretty bad it's pretty uninspiring 10-year plan I, I thought that i was mad enough when we started hearing snyder talk about the two or the three-year plan 10-year plan are you kidding me <laughs> yeah huh. uh well, well i'm probably gonna make my own video about that at some point but, yeah, it's it's just uh, I know I took yeah. that off track, but I had I did want to ask you about that. No problem. I saw that today, and I was like, oh, dude, really, Depoto? Just just zip it. Just don't say anything if you're going to say that. <laughs> All right, and um, yeah, so it's got to be said for the one or two people out there who forgot. Let them know, Brennan. On this season that is starting to get back on track, nature is healing. Things are coming together. 
We weren't going to go undefeated anyway, right? Nobody goes undefeated. It's no. cool. We don't want that pressure. We don't want that kind of pressure. You know, we've seen that wears those teams out as they go on. It wore the Patriots team out. You know, mm -hmm. you got to get that, that bad loss right out through your system early. You know, just get it right out. So all that's left is go Hawks. Go Hawks. <laughs>